from the land of mystery where dreams become reality always listening to stories from the past the present and the future this is back to your story up guys thank you so much for tuning in i'd like to share with you guys a little sponsor uh the first one for the podcast it's called jupiter they make the highest quality cbd i have ever taken they really focus on alleviating stress and for me i deal with stress on a massive level every single day i feel like i'm gonna explode by the end of it i take a little bit of this stuff and it just melts it away and you know this stuff is fucking awesome one reason is because they're usd organic second reason is single strain origin third they only use the flower fourth three-step testing process the list could go on but what they're doing for you guys is they're doing the jupiter journey it's a two-week sample to really try the product and it's only 19 bucks yep 19 dollars after that you guys can use my code after your second purchase and uh get 10 bucks off so use the code storytime i'll put all the information in the notes but uh go to getjupiter.com try it today oh man that was good so who do i have on today well i got the wizard himself the man behind jupiter uh well one half of the man behind jupiter that's mr tyler turner he's my best friend my brother talk about just so many amazing things and uh, i'm pretty sure you guys are going to get a kick out of this he's one of the most brilliant guys i know most driven most passionate dudes on the face of the planet and um i look up to him he's a big brother to me all right guys let's get to it All right, all right, all right. So, Brock, I'm not saying that it's a simulation. Yes. But I'm also not not saying that what we need to consider is that what we call reality is actually just a projection of the subconscious. Okay. From interdimensional aliens trying to mind control us. Well, you know, at the end As of the adults, day, as adults, we ho, have ho, to ho. consider that. It, but it's 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 really a fact, and I just stuttered right there. Huh. I'm really thinking about these things. I do appreciate that you listen to my podcast and kind of gave me some good criticism because one thing about you that I've always respected is that you're going to say it how it is. Bring the heat. When most people will bullshit to your face, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I know I can come to you and you will tell me how it is. So some people would say that that's me being an asshole, but I actually think it's (laughs) the nicest thing that you can do. Uh, Of course. I definitely agree with that. Uh, But when people call you an asshole, you're just a truth teller. You don't have a bone in your body where you can lie to a person's face about something big. I don't, I don't know. It's just one thing I've respected about you. If, it's, if, if I think that if I lie, because there's different types of lying. Yes. If it's a lie that is a disservice to them, that's going to cause them to continue to do something that I don't necessarily, I mean, if they're asking for an opinion, yeah. an opinion is almost like an opportunity to be completely honest. So and, it's and true. Robert has a fun thing that he says, which is, how do you like your information? Yes, yes. <laughs> but it's true. How do you like your information? Now, is this something that ever since you were a kid was ingrained into you by your parents? No, I think it's something that I learned uh, firsthand because so many people throughout life have not been that way with me. Absolutely. And since I'm trying to do things, it's like the most valuable thing ever when someone can be honest with you. For sure. And so I'll say when I went through this uh, tech incubator called the Founder Institute, mm-hmm. um, there was a guy that ran that who was, again, everybody was like, that guy's an asshole. 
but he was so blatantly honest that it wasn't like it wasn't like you're trying to hurt my feelings. It's like you're actually trying to help me by yes. being incredibly honest. For so sure. I probably picked it up from him. That's His name's Adeo Risi. There we go. So I, I, I do respect that because 2020 for me is kind of a couple things, but two things that are my biggest pet peeves that I do like to talk about a lot. One, bullshitting. Mm-hmm. Two, passiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that tend to bullshit, I don't like it. Yeah. And I, that means I don't like myself because for the longest time I was a bullshitter. I would just say things off the top of my head, no uh, rhyme or reason. And it's something now that I'm really thinking about. So when I say something, I want facts behind it. And if I don't know it, I'm going to say that I don't know it. Yeah. And then number two, people being passive, just say it how it is. Uh-huh. It's like that old uh, you know, kind of saying, if you have roommates and they do something wrong, and you just let it fester, well, it's just bullshit. You know, there's something to be said for the environment because, for example, if you are trying to build a company, no bullshitting and no passiveness. Yeah. It's poison. It is. But if you're trying to live with a roommate, sometimes the bullshitting in the past, maybe not passiveness, but the bullshitting can actually be, if, as long as it's being done you know, effectively, it can actually be something that keeps the environment chill. Because truly, truly fast-growing companies are not exactly chill environments. No. And everyone needs to have a little bit thick skin so you can communicate a little harshly mm-hmm. to get things across quickly. Um, but that's not always best for, like, say, a roommate. For sure. And through your experience doing all the different types of jobs, and we'll get into that, mm-hmm. but working at bigger freaking companies, mm-hmm. uh, was that something that you know you kind of learned throughout the years, having that thick skin, or has it been since high school? Uh, hmm. Most of my positive, what I will call mental or emotional traits come from my mom. So I think that some of it is like genetic, like it's baked in there. Some of it is learned through observation. And then I also think that a lot of it comes from some of my uh, deeper belief systems, like say the stoicism thing, like when bad things happen, it's not actually a bad thing. Um, There's just something that you have to like accept. Yes. So uh, I don't think I've always been that way. I I would say it was actually through a series of failures, I developed most of the ways that I am today. There we go. I love that. You know, a lot of people, uh, even me included throughout my uh, life, I've had, you know, many, many failures. And for the longest time, I would just let it hold me down. And now at 33 years old, I look back at these failures and I go, okay, what did I do wrong? How can I grow from it? And what is kind of the next step? And, you know, for as long as I've known you, I've seen this progression up and down, up and down. And then there came this point in your life where things just really started to take off. Mm -hmm. But that's because, you know, the decades work that you put into it. So uh, I just kind of want to bring this all around. Um, You know, Tyler Turner, you are by far one of my best friends. You are my brother. I respect the shit out of you because like we're just saying, you say it how it is. And I know that if I come to you, you're going to tell me how it is. Also, if I'm in some world of shit and I need help, you're the first person I'm going to call. So uh, Tyler Turner, where the heck did he originate from? Where did it all start? St. Joseph, Missouri. There we go. St. Joseph, Missouri. Really? Damn. Family still out there? Uh, Yeah, there is still family there. Okay. Unfortunately, don't get to see them very often. Um, but it's extended family. So, so the beginning, yeah. St. Joseph, Missouri, uh, parents were 17 and 18 years old when they had me. Wow. Check this out. 
I have an older brother. That is so crazy. <laughs> so 16, 17, where they have him. And then they're like, we have no idea what we're doing. Let's have another kid. Are you serious? I don't think it was planned. I, 17, 18. Could you even imagine no. being? No, not at all. I mean, I could barely imagine. <laughs> I can't have a dog for the reasons that I shouldn't have a kid. So I, I couldn't imagine. I'm 33 and I can't. Uh, I mean, I'm starting to imagine having a kid uh, with, with Elizabeth together for 16 years. But your parents, uh, I, I, I just can't even fathom being that young and then being able to pull it off. So it's 17, 18, um, they had a kid. That was in St. Joseph, Missouri. Is that where you grew up? Mm-hmm. That was until third, third grade. And then we moved up to Omaha. Um, but I got to say, uh, you know, at 18, as much as I can remember, I, your brain's not even fully formed. No. Like you do not know what you're doing. Your decision making is trash. Yes, it is. You don't have the experience and you also don't have the fully baked brain to figure things out. Yeah. So how the hell they figured things out, I do not know. Yeah. Um, but man, my I get my work ethic from my dad. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, so he, I, I, I mean, to the best of my recollection, he just grinded hard to get us out of that situation. Because the house that we were living in mm-hmm. was, uh, I think it had a total of three or four rooms okay. in the entire house. I recently found it on Redfin. Okay. And it sold for like $25,000. Are you serious? <laughs> serious. Yeah. $25,000. Uh, Court Street. I forget the house number. <laughs> so crazy. I was going to post it on social media. You I'll should. Soon. You should. Um, the Redfin and everything, like Damn. the most recent price, which was like wow. 2015 or something. Uh, <laughs> That gives you an indication of, of the, the vibe of the neighborhood and yeah. everything. Either before or after we moved out, there was a drive-by shooting where a couple of houses got uh, shot up. Oh, my gosh. And so we moved not too long after that or not too long before that. I don't yeah. remember which one. Um, but then we headed up to, to uh, Omaha because my dad was working at a door factory, huh. hourly door factory, just making doors. Wow. Yeah. Door factory. And, and at what age was he uh, when you guys moved to Nebraska, if you can kind of recollect? So probably early 20s. That's freaking crazy, man. Yeah. In his early 20s, has two kids, a wife, working yeah. his ass off. Yeah. And then takes you guys up to Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. My mom was uh, babysitting. Uh, in my early childhood, I remember always having friends around, like kid friends that were like my age. Mm-hmm. And they were all uh, kids that my mom was babysitting for wow. income. Yeah. So there was that. And then my dad was at the door factory. And my dad also, his office uh, at the house was the closet where he was studying for real estate. <laughs> no way. Yeah. He got his license and everything. And That's uh, impressive, man. Yeah. I, I remember having a closet growing up and my sister would live in there. It was kind of like a, an extended <laughs> closet. And uh, my parents were like, oh, yeah, this is perfect for a bedroom. Um, yeah, they were just trying to figure shit out at that time. But yeah. uh, you get to Omaha, Nebraska, what, you're in fourth grade? Third grade, yeah. Third grade. Um, do you remember that? I have some memories. I, I wonder sometimes how good other people's memories are compared to mine. I'm a I'm a future orientated person, right? Okay. So I spend very little time thinking about the past mm-hmm. or the present for that matter. It's almost always what am I gonna do, what's next type thinking. Yes. I think that screws with my memory. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, w- I wouldn't doubt it, but just the uh, human brain um, as a whole, we do not remember a lot of shit. It's we not- remember it all fuzzy too. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's always fuzzy. And, you know, I hear my sister trying to bring up stories from the past and uh-huh. it's like, no, that was not, not correct. How it happened. That, fuck yeah. no. <laughs> and I'm sure I do the same thing, but uh, definitely her, she's 
Yeah, you know my sister, uh, bless her heart. So you guys get to Nebraska. It's you and your brother, your mom and your dad. What kind of, what was it like growing up in Nebraska? Well, early on, um, again, I don't remember a ton. I mean, I played baseball. My dad was usually my coach. You know, there's a lot of benefits of having a young mom and dad. And one is that, you know, your dad's your baseball coach. For sure. So I remember a lot of time I spent uh, training with him, playing on the teams, uh, man, that consumed a big part of my childhood was baseball. baseball? Yeah. Wow. Uh, the whole idea for the longest time was to be a professional baseball player. Okay. And like I ran with that a long ways into high school too. I had no idea. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. That was the that was the focus. So maybe I get a lot of the competitiveness that I have. For sure. Comes from from the, the years and years of baseball. But honestly, I didn't do anything else. No no karate or taekwondo or no drugs, no, no partying. No, no drugs, no partying, no nothing. It was it was baseball. Just hyper focus on baseball. What position did you play? Uh, pitcher. I could see that. I also played catcher and I also played third base. All right, yeah. all right. So pitching a, was the funnest. I, that was sure. the most fun for sure. I, I played that. I played up until eighth grade and that's when I stopped. Or seventh grade, whatever the heck it was. Then I started skateboarding and then that took over everything and yeah. then drugs and weed and all that shit. Blah 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 blah. You know what's funny is that. On the team in high school, so we're jumping forward to high school. There's, there's a fine. big, you know, I'm sure fuzziness between third grade That's and high school. Right. I don't really remember. <laughs> um, but I, I, I didn't do drugs at all. No, that's I, incredible. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I didn't do any of that stuff. But I looked like I did. I looked more like I did than anybody else. Why? I had the haircut. I had the clothes. Okay. Was, uh, skating. It's the whole thing. Yes. And so. Uh, People had that assumption about me, mm-hmm. and, and I had this like rebellious. I think the the look was me trying to find my independence okay. in a sense, right? That's kind of what we do. And then, in the process of trying to find that independence, part of that was a rebellion process. But in a really funny way, I rebelled against the perception of me than I did against what like for my parents had always said: if you want to drink, just drink. No just way. Just call us. Yeah, okay. just call us. Just don't drive drunk. I love that. So I was always like, okay, I can't rebel against that. So <laughs> I'll rebel against the idea of, of me being what everyone keeps calling me. Keep calling me a, you know, a stoner, stoner and stuff like that. All and, that shit. Um, and I also had some really amazing friends okay. who went hard. <laughs> so I kind of got the experience yes. without going through it myself. You'd live in vicariously through uh-huh. them. A bunch of Russian guys. There we go. Man, they had no limits. They were awesome to grow up with. That, that's what it's like. Man. Uh, you know, there's stories that won't be told, but <laughs> there are a lot of crazy things that well, happened. Well, off mic, you can tell me some of yes. them for sure. Um, yeah, 16 to, through 21 was basically trying not to get caught doing really fun things on the weekends and stuff. And so those are things you cannot talk about. Not, not talk about. Okay, this. so we're going to kind of skip over <laughs> that. Maybe we'll touch back. No, I'm just joking. Um, so playing baseball, people, uh, I, I just kind of want to jump back because you said something. You know, the way that people perceived you back then made you rebel against it. Were you thinking about that consciously? Like, okay, this people think I'm a stoner, no. so I'm not going to do it. It was no. just subconsciously. Yeah, because again, like that was how old my dad was when he was having kids that's <laughs> so, so crazy and i'm i you know so obviously my brain's not all there so I, no. in the sense of like you just kind of making decisions completely based on instinct 100 uh, percent. so there was no conscious thought of rebelling it was just a reaction and now you know in, in your 30s um you still haven't you know smoked you don't mm-hmm. drink you don't do anything no it's i stuck i find that really impressive uh you know even Alyssa, my wife doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. And it's not because 
sober. It's just, you know, conscious decision that, you know, both of you made ever since you were a kid. And, you know, I see a lot of, although you guys are different, right? Very different. Your work ethic to just fucking push and drive at, you know, you're, you're on this career path right now and you're pushing, you know, uh, your business and we'll get to that. And Alyssa's kind of on this makeup drive and she's mm-hmm. fucking pushing it. And so I respect that because, you know, obviously I like to work hard. I like to push, I like to drive, but for the longest time I was like, wait a minute, you've never tried anything. And I don't know why it used to bother me. Mm. Uh, it used to bother me for Alyssa and it bothered me when I first met you. And it's the stupidest thing in the world because our decisions are our decisions. And, yeah. and now after knowing you for like eight, nine years, I respect the shit out of you for making that decision. Yeah. So, um, you know, and the thing is, is that it's no longer a decision. I mean, and, and, I'm that. the most, I am the least judgmental person that probably exists. I just, I, I, sure. I think that everybody has their own experiences and that has made them in many different ways. They have perceptions, yes. the way they see life. So they make decisions, but that there's no good or there's no bad in any of that. There's yeah. just the journey that people are on. Right. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to drinking, I freaking love when people get trashed because they become so interesting. And the fact that I stay sober, I, I get to kind of experience a different side of them. Absolutely. Um, which is great. And drugs, same way. Yeah. Any drug, anybody does. Yeah. I'm interested in understanding their personality or who they are as that person. I love that. Yeah. I love that because it's you're, you're not doing it from a point of uh, negativity. No. Uh, not at all. No. It's like, you know, it's your life. Do what you do. And let's talk. Let's have fun. Let's have a good time. And you can still go out there and party harder than the rest of them. Um, and you're completely sober. My right. bachelor party, everything time we go out, it's just like you are up there as if you were fucked up, but you're definitely not fucked up. Just and having a good time. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so freaking cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So all right, let, let's kind of go back. Uh, you know, 16 years old. Did you have aspirations to go to college? What was kind of in your mind at that time? Uh, so my, I gotta get this right, but grandpa didn't. Grandma didn't, mom didn't, dad didn't, nobody went to college. All right. But my brother had it covered because he got a full ride and he graduated in three years from college. Seriously? So my brother's crazy smart. Like he's, wow. he's, his work ethic exceeds mine. Really? Really. And he's crazy smart. So it's, he's like, he's just awesome. Are you guys the, the same, like emotionally, um, personality wise emotionally devoid is that yeah. <laughs> he's got a lock on his emotions for sure okay yeah is that something that uh in your family kind of just runs deep it's no I, you know my mom has an ability to control her emotions uh when she wants it really really well yes so you know and then yeah I, I i would say that and i know a lot of people who are like this and a lot of people in the business world are yeah. like this there's like a switch you just yeah. flip the switch yeah. Alyssa can do it when you flip the switch it's like you know you'll deal with it later but right <laughs> now we don't have the to deal with it i just i can't do that i was before the podcast i was saying i wear my heart on my sleeve and you told you said you could learn but um you know i'm 33 i have so many other things to do so if something bad happens, yeah. um, you know, I, I can't shut that off and it sucks. I, but at the same time, mm. I, I do love it because when people, you know, get to know me, they, they know that, I, I don't know, it just comes from a place of good and my emotions are who I am at the same time. So yeah. it's kind of like good and bad. Here's something you don't know about me. Uh, and this is very relevant is that my biggest motivational I guess I'll just call it uh, a segment. My, my, the, the segment of what gives me the most motivation on a regular basis is human potential. Yeah. It sounds weird. No, it doesn't. 
but it's so the loss of human potential seriously upsets me. Yeah. Uh, and then somebody overcoming something is extremely motivating to me. Uh, so if somebody has a setback or has something very tragic that happens to them, but despite that, they choose to be optimistic and mm-hmm. use it as a, as, a, as a source of strength. Yes. Love it. Yeah. Absolutely love it. Um, so, you, you know, when it comes to the, to the like emotion thing, I, I guess in some ways I, th- I think of, you know, not, it's not blocking or devoiding emotions, but I see that I suppose there's a there's a strength in being able to manage your emotions For in sure. a way that's effective. I'm not a psychologist. I love psychology and I love people and understanding people. And I'm sure that there are certain people who benefit from the process of managing their emotions. And there's people who it would be more detrimental to try to manage their emotions. Yes. Um, you know, holding, you know, what is it? Building up your, you know, and then the people explode. And I, I don't know how much of that is true. Um, but, you know, you've seen people explode. No, no, <laughs> absolutely. I, I totally freaking do. And I just kind of thinking back um, about my parents and a little bit about that, a little bit about your parents that you just shared. You know, mm-hmm. you said your mom was really good at that, um, you know, kind of holding it in and growing managing it, it. managing it, it. Okay, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, holding it in, I think, leads to exploding, right? Managing it, uh, you'll work on it, Isn't you know, it right now. Isn't it funny, though, how we're saying the same things? But we're saying them differently, exactly, which gives them a total different it does. energy, right? For sure, a totally different perception. Yes, because and I, I do find that I'm often trying to spin things into an optimistic way. You definitely are. It annoys the shit out of a lot of people. Um, so when I, you know, you say holding in an emotion, which is like a negative thing, I agree that's negative. Don't push yes, it in. I do too. But then when I say manage, it's almost like you are maybe turning that into energy mm-hmm. and then turning that energy into action for to sure. resolve whatever was causing it in the first place. Absolutely. So these, these mental models for how to think about things, I think are really powerful for being an effective person. They are. Right. right? And that's, you know, you're, you're, remember we did the personality test. You're, uh-huh. you're a commander. Right. Uh, I'm a campaigner. Uh-huh. Um, for me growing up, my dad wore his heart on his sleeve. Right. For you, your mom was able to manage her emotions. So growing up, we saw two different sides of things. And it's just really incredible that uh, when we are younger, the things that are ingrained into us, the, the life that we live uh, tends to blossom into our later years. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I just find it really incredible that you are the person you are. I'm the person that I am. But at the end of the day, we're best friends and we're brothers. And mm-hmm. although we are slightly different or majorly different in other ways, we can come together and do things like this and have fun. And, you know, you know, I, I cause I, I do, th- I think a lot yeah. and I also think very well when I speak. So as I'm speaking, I'm thinking more clearly than I, when I think inside of my head. Um, and I, and I do think that when it, when you talk about two very different people being friends, mm-hmm. I actually think that the world works much better when we're different. Agreed. If we can communicate. Yes. Which is why communication is one of the most important things. It is. Because if you and I are so different, but we're able to communicate together, we become a better version of reality. Absolutely. Because we're not isolated in our little camps. For sure. In our echo chambers. For sure. I, it's so true. I, I know I talk about my wife a lot because she's helped me out a lot. So but, annoying. But, but we are, <laughs> fuck off. Uh, we are so different. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it works. You know, yeah. you don't get to 16 years and still be happy it's through all the ups and downs in life. And that goes to so many things. That's like our relationship. Although we are different, 
we come together and we bring things from both sides and both sides of the perspective, which then allows us to grow. Yeah, For sure, I do say this and I've been saying it a lot recently, you gave me the greatest advice that anyone has ever told me. And it's so simple. And I know it came from Tony Robbins. <laughs> Just fucking do it. Yeah. He says, take massive action. Okay. Well, I like what you say better. But just... I mean, and Nike, you know, that's it. Just do it. But when you add the fucking, yeah. it, it just there's that fucking punch to it. And yeah. I curse a lot. Yeah. So. Stop thinking, start doing. Absolutely. Because that's you know what I've I learned, uh, and this is going through some of the pulp days. I, I learned so much just from the observation and the realization of watching uh, David Thurston work and how intuitive he was with business. Yeah. Is that most people are making mistakes For and sure. they're making mistakes every single day and they're making them all day long but they're going so goddamn slow Mm -hmm. that it takes them forever to realize they've made a mistake. But if you're just like, bam, 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 speed eventually just makes up for the difference. Yes, it does. And you're like, oh shit, that was a mistake, but I've already made three other decisions that have kind of, you know, moved past that mistake in the first place. For sure. You're learning rapidly and you're moving quickly. It's it's the best. It's the best. Rather than overthinking and overplanning and then moving slowly. You're my 12th podcast, man. And you're the That's only crazy. person that has That's listened so to it. And this is in, what, three weeks, uh-huh. so maybe two and a half weeks. Yeah. And I shared it with you and you gave me some, you know, critiques. You said, do this, do this. You know, don't be so excited. Try yeah. not to study your words. Right. Uh, blah, 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 blah. But if I didn't just fucking do it, I would still be working on the social media and the logo and the this and the that. This is the first time in my life that I've actually, everything's just kind of coming together. Yeah. And I appreciate that this was just such a big learning lesson. And so other things in my life, I'm going to do that. Yeah. It, stop fucking trying to waste so much time on the little shit. Do it and you will learn. It's yes. about experiences. And that's, that's level one. Yes. Uh, level two, as it relates to the understanding of speed, is thinking of speed and timing at the same time. Okay. So I'll give you an example. Um, as it relates to product development, technically, you actually want to go a little bit more methodical through that. Makes sense. If you're creating a product, you turn that speed dial down a little bit. If you're doing sales or distribution or trade shows or any of the other stuff that comes from like marketing and sales and growth... That shit has to be done fast, moving yeah. quick. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be not waiting on everybody to make decisions around you, just moving quick, 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 quick. But so level two, there's a dial of when to move quickly and mm-hmm. when to slow down that speed a little bit. For sure. And I, uh, well, maybe when I get to level two, I'll learn that. <laughs> right now I'm on level one, bitch. Yeah. So we're, we're going to bring it back. Um, so you didn't go to college. You were 16, 17, 18. Oh, I did go to college. Oh, wait, you did? Mm-hmm. Okay, so where'd you go? Uh, University of Omaha. Wow. So this is, there's UNL, which okay. is the University um, of Nebraska at Lincoln. And then there's University of Nebraska at Omaha. Mm-hmm. Omaha was the smaller of the two. Okay. Lincoln was like the college town. Mm-hmm. Where we'd go and party and stuff and have, and that was, that was like the good big city with the Cornhuskers and the football and all that. Cornhuskers. Yeah. 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 That is actually so the, funny. the name. Um, but then Omaha was more the commuter college. So I was in a fraternity. Really? Vice president of fraternity. Vice president. Uh-huh. You didn't make it to the president, bitch. Uh-uh. Not all the way to the top. There's Almost a, there's a, there. There's a story. There's a story. Okay. There. Can you tell the story? It was, um. It was a little bit of an internal politics thing. Okay. Sounds about right with Tyler. I was going to say that's actually a really good insight too is that I'm like, when it comes to political environments, Mm -hmm. as far as like say a, you know, a group of people, I'm a non-combatant. I don't get involved. I'm like, I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to do it extremely well. Um, And that often other people recognize that and they're like, oh, super effective person. Like let's, this is great. But there is a way of managing 
you know, a group of people politically yes. that I, I, I feel like I can't be bothered with. So anyways, VP, not president, because I didn't play a particular politic game. Okay, well, yeah. that, uh, that makes sense. Do you think that holds you back in anything later yeah, on? Yeah, for sure. Respect. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I'm 36. Yes. I'll get better. I, you know, recognizing something is the first step in you know, making it better. That is. So I get... I love that, man. Books and audio podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis and about all of it. Just even talking about it, for me, uh, you know, going to therapy, talking my shit out, mm-hmm. realizing things, bringing things to the front. That's why I like psilocybin so much is because it allows you to bring things to the front. Uh, during, you know, before you came out here, you were like, um, we should do a fight party uh, for the Conor McGregor fight, which was fucking nuts. Who, mm-hmm. like an elbow th- or a shoulder throw, that was amazing. That? that was amazing. Uh, and I microdose a couple times a week. A lot of people were coming over. I kind of took a little too much. So it. How does that uh, happen? Because I didn't weigh it out. So traditionally, I would weigh out my doses, yeah. like 0.1, uh, but I took like 0.3, which I wasn't fucking like tripping balls. When did the rocket take off? I, what was happening is I was setting up, people were coming, and all of a sudden, um, like my heart starts beating, and the walls are like kind of turning a couple like different colors. I'm like, what the fuck? And then I realized that I ate too much. And so then I got really fucking anxious. And I was like, I want everyone to leave. But more and more people started showing up, (laughs) which was incredible because I did not think, you know, 20, 30 people were even going to come because it was kind of last minute. And then eventually (laughs) it kind of switched. But sitting there watching the the fights before the big fight, I I just started thinking about a lot of things about life, love, relationships, all, all of that shit. And I had a kind of coming to Jesus moment with uh, some issues I was dealing with that I'm not going to talk about. All that was happening while I was just sitting there. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. You were just going through it. In my brain. <laughs> I, it was like I was just a robot. And yeah. and that's and that's the crazy thing. And that's why I enjoy psilocybin. Now, when you're younger, yeah. when I took it when I was 15, 16, 17, I fucking hated it. You are not ready. You are not prepared. The frontal cortex is not developed fully yeah. until you're like roughly 25 years old. So you really should not be messing with those things. Uh, but for me, being an adult, when I introduced it in you know 29, 30 years old, it's helped me out. And I've talked about it a yeah. ton on this podcast. Yeah, I've podcast. heard nothing but, oh, I've heard a lot. Yeah, but I have also heard really good things about it. Of course, it. Yeah. of course, if done correctly, sure, uh, they are amazing tools. So yeah, I just kind of jumping off topic. Okay, so I, I, I want to bring this back. You you were in a fraternity, uh, vice president. How long were you there for? I was in college for three years. Okay, did you uh, get a degree? No, I dropped out. All right, there we go. What are your thoughts on uh, the college education system for today? Big ass scam. It is. Um, you know, I, I think that their education is probably the most important thing that exists, mm-hmm. but the educational system doesn't is, is set up like a business. Absolutely. And it's and, and you've talked to professors like yeah. they're like, yeah, this is we're we're just adding in like an extra two years so that we can charge you these you know extra yeah. tuition fees for these two years. Um, and truthfully, knowledge moves at such a fast speed mm-hmm. that there is nothing that I learned in college aside from the social aspects of the college. The experience. The experience was really valuable. That's I, it. I, I give you that. It, you know, like it, it was like camp is experience, is a really yes. good experience. And it's not because you learn how to build a fire necessarily, no. but you learn how to engage with people in this kind of chaotic environment Absolutely. that's less structured than, you know, your neighborhood or something. For sure. It's that next step uh, after you're, you're going to high school, you're living at home. And so finally you're kind of on your own right. and you can fuck up, you can do this, you can do that. Uh, and then you kind of hit the real world. And 
you know, for me, that's kind of the only part of the college education system that I like, unless you're going to school to become a doctor or scientist. Right. That's, that's so different, right? But there is always an exception. Of course. But if you're going to school to become a social media, you know, major, uh, you know, get the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. Go, go learn from, you know, real world experience. Yeah, exactly. Doing. And I spent most of my time in those classes coming up with business ideas. I had awesome, um, well, I'll call them awesome mentors um, that I met in the real world while in college. Nice. So most of the time I was, again, these stories, they get a little too sideways. Um, but but I, I had two different mentors. This, this is cool. I never talk about this. I actually. love this. this I'd was, like to um, hear about it. When was this? This is college. So one of, one of the mentors um, had an interesting set of businesses and another one had more traditional businesses. Um, the more traditional one had sold his company for like 60 million bucks or something. Wow. Crazy. That's awesome. So I met him shortly after that. And the other one ran a few local businesses, a few businesses that are legal today that were not necessarily legal then. Okay. Um, and you know, and that's the thing, like there were lessons to be learned on both sides of that. And, uh, it's, it's funny how the lessons that I learned from the traditional person were not as direct. They were almost like indirect lessons yep. where like he would be saying something and I would be seeing the alternative side to what he was <laughs> saying, you know, uh, lots of trust issues and lots of, uh, what he, look, here's a great example. Uh, when you have a client, mm-hmm. there's two ways to approach it. You either spend as much time as you can with the client, so the client loves you, and you know you're always there. You know what's going on. You can be supportive, and you can be helpful, and you're like a good vendor to that person. And the other side of it is stay away from them, so that you don't screw it up. He was the stay away, so you don't screw it yeah. up person. So I was like, okay, well, I see, I see your point. I see why you're saying that. But I'm going to go ahead and say the other thing is actually much better. Of course. Um, and then, you know, the other guy, it was a smattering of lessons across, you know, a, a couple of years. And those lessons were hard lessons to learn, mm-hmm. but it was the real world. That's awesome. It, it was awesome, it but is. not always positive experiences in the moment. That's right. But you walk away. And, it, and in many ways, I think maybe that prepared me to live in Los Angeles. Yes. Because I know that growing up, I had kind of an ideal growing up. You know, it was very idealistic with having two parents that were so engaged and like mm-hmm. loving and thoughtful and supportive that the real world's not like that. No, it's not. And no one gives a shit sometimes. They don't. Um, and so it was nice to have a little bit of a rough experience and the, you know, in the pursuit of what I wanted. For sure. Uh, that was kind of a good introduction to the real world. I love that. Yeah. I, I, I really do like that because getting both sides of, of the coin mm-hmm. and for you, even at a young age, seeing the more traditional guy, the things that he was saying, you're like, okay, well, that's good advice. But if I just flip it, it can be better advice. Yeah. And then taking, um, you know, the situational lessons that you learned from the non-traditional person even though maybe at times they weren't good, taking something out of it. Because a lot of times as humans, we think that when things are bad, we can't really take anything out of it. But as you probably know, some of the best lessons that you have learned and I've learned are from failures. It's the core of who I am as a person. Yeah, It's, the, uh, it's being completely in love with whatever fate has decided is yours to, to, to experience. Absolutely. So there's like... Um, there's judgment and then there's uh, acceptance and then there's love is the top. So it's, you know, most people navigate life with this judgmental attitude. This is bad. This is good. I don't want this. I want this. Not a great way to live because you're going to be totally at the mercy of whatever happens. 
Then there's acceptance, which is a great way to live because you're like, okay, I'm cool with this. It is what it is. Things happen, you know? But then there's another level called love where you're like, I love that that just happened. I'm so in love that my car yeah. just got stolen. Yeah. I'm so in love that my car just got broken into. I'm so in love I just got fired. I'm so in love. Like, and, and you find a way, and it sounds crazy. It does. But if you can find a way to actually be that optimistic, you are freaking invincible. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I, I wish that I could be optimistic about everything. And maybe it is because I wear my heart on my sleeve. I am optimistic about a lot of things, but at times, sometimes in the moment, uh, I can be slightly jaded. Let's work on this. Okay, let's hear it. Okay. So, are you so ready? Let me just give you I'm re- I'm pure ready. logic, right? right? Optimism is the most logical thing, right? Here's why. Uh, Day one of whatever the thing is, you're optimistic. Day two sucks. You're like, I'm going to stay optimistic. Day three, you're still optimistic, but it just keeps getting worse. But you're like, it's going to go good. It's, everything's cool. Eventually, it's going to be It's going to be And you never stop. Guess what happens? What happens? Eventually, it turns around. It does. It may not happen when you expect it, but it will eventually always turn around. Yeah. So, and, and now, this is, that's very general. For sure. And so, sometimes you have to apply it to the big picture. Like I have big picture optimism that just doesn't stop. I know. I can't turn it off. You're the biggest dreamer I know. Man. Oh my God. I would never, I would never want to even try to understand how to turn it off. That's true. Um, even, and then the, the deeper that you can dig that optimism in, into different areas, it just makes everything better. Yeah. I, and, I and it doesn't work great around other people. <laughs> but here's the funny thing is that you need those people too. You do. Because being an optimist can actually blind you from a lot of pretty serious risks. Um, and so when you're just like, go, 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 go. And even if you have like four other people with you that are like, go, 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 go. There needs to be one person being like, look the fuck out. Look out. There's a cliff. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and, that's, and that's important because you, once again, you want both sides of the coin. So if you have four people, you want three of them to be optimistic, but you want that other person to be like, hey, look the other fucking way. Yeah. So then you can kind of bring that together. Do you take a lot of these things that you're saying, uh, do you kind of, bring them back and these are things that you kind of learned when you were younger from your parents because your parents being 17 18 years old having two amazing successful kids uh that have been able to just kind of fucking do it yeah it blows my there's mind there's three of us actually three you have a you sister. Have sister you have a sister yeah. sorry yeah. i apologize yeah uh, she's bombed too she's she's doing awesome so three kids yeah you know, one thing I've noticed is uh, by doing this podcast, the people that have uh, a successful mom, a successful dad, and I'm not talking about success even in the money terms, sure. just you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Their lives have been a lot easier mm-hmm. uh, to get to the point where they're at. Yeah. And so for the bigger picture, what does that have to say? Um, it actually does say a lot. And I never realized this before because I lost my dad at 17 years old. Yeah, that's a tough and time, man. It, it was, time. of course. Um, and there's tons of people that, that go through it. But at the end of the day, my parents should have got divorced. Mm. But your parents, uh, you know, through the ups and downs, they were able to manage, figure it out. And it's just a direct reflection of who you are today. And so I won the apps. I won the life lottery with them. I love that. Yeah. Even, even when it was, I mean, I even think like, this is exactly what we just talked about. Yeah. I love the fact that they were so young and unprepared. Yeah. Here's a great reason why. Cause you ask if I learned these things directly from them. Yeah. 
I would say yes, but also indirectly. Because think about it. You got an 18-year-old dad who's like, I got to figure shit out. <laughs> so he just starts listening to Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins. And, yes. all this. and so I'm like a baby just soaking in all this like optimism and positivity yeah. and like how to live life. Um, and it's, it's just my dad trying to figure shit out. But it's being kind of like I'm in the environment actually just soaking it up. You're a sponge. We're yeah. sponges. And so I, in, in that sense, yeah, it was, you know. For sure. For if sure. he was 36 and had kids, maybe he's like, I can't. You listen to the Tony Robbins. I got work to do. <laughs> but I hope so. You know, I'm, I'm 33 and I plan, I think I'm going to have kids in the next couple of years. Uh, that hasn't stopped. If anything, for me, it's gotten more, you yeah. know, and I listen, listen to these things. And maybe that's because I did not uh, do it when I was younger. Yeah. So I'm catching up for past time. But, you yeah. know, I think it's good to always listen to them. I, I find myself listening to them all the time still. And it's almost because the brain uh, is looking for patterns Mm -hmm. and you got to feed it a pattern from time to time. And the world can be pretty rough sometimes. So if it's always being fed this bullshit from the real, from the world, it's nice to just, you know, program it in the morning and listen to something real positive when you wake up for sure. And just be like, okay, that's the pace for the day. Exactly. It sets the tone. Do you think that's why Jordan Peterson has become so uh, popular because he says it how it is? I can't speak too much to Jordan Peterson because okay. I don't really listen to too much. That's but fine. I know that he has a um, a life philosophy that a lot of people are really attracted to. Yes. And I think that uh, everybody should have a life philosophy. Yeah. And the more structured it is, I think the better off you are because a lot of the mental process of figuring out what to do is kind of taken care of when you're like, like for example, if part of who you are as a person is you don't eat fast food mm-hmm. or you don't eat meat or whatever, there's not a lot of mental energy that goes into that decision-making any longer. Yes. For me, drinking. For sure. Drugs. I, I, there's no mental process in whether or not I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't, just not who I am. So, but that's, you know, those are easy do's and don'ts. The little bit more complicated life philosophies, I think people should really spend time with. Absolutely. Um, and I, I do have a pretty structured life philosophy. I know what I want in 100 years. I know what I want in 50. I know what I want in 20. I know what I want in five. And I know what I want in two. Um, and, and I try not to go you know, too close, like months. Now for, for you, your goals, your dreams, your aspirations, do you write them down on a board, a Absolutely. piece of paper, or in the brain? Piece of paper. Okay. And I have them broken up into different uh, sections. You've been doing that since you've been younger? Or is this recent? I mean... I guess the time before now that I remember doing it most distinctly, um, okay, high school for sure I did it. Um, I did it through college. I remember doing it. So you've but done it. I structured it really well with pulp. And I had a very, pulp riot. And yes. I had a very, um, and it was based off of what David's uh, plan was. And so I almost, I just kind of adopted his plan. But I had it written down. I looked at it every single day. I every single morning I looked at it. I love that. And it was, it was, just there. It was so, right next to my alarm. For the people listening that have no idea what Pulp Riot is, and we will get to that story uh, when we get there, right? But just kind of let them know what was Pulp Riot, what is Pulp Riot. Hair color company. So it was the fastest growing hair color company in the world over the last probably three years. Yeah. And acquired by L'Oreal last oh, year. Fucking so, did it. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. All right. So let's kind of bring it back and then we'll, we'll get there. Cool. Uh, so you're kind of going through college. You went three years. What was next after that? Well, I dropped out. And I dropped out, the day I dropped out was a day where I was in the library and I was doing a women's suffrage collage, which I had to rush through because I had to also write a poem after that um, on some topic. But in between all that, I had to go take my golf final. 
So I was like, what the fuck am what I doing? What the fuck is that? And so I ripped up the women's suffrage poster. Love women's suffrage. Seriously? It's a great thing. Yeah, yeah. But I ripped it up. Uh, my, I had all these foreign exchange student friends that were sitting there. It just like the psilocybin thing. They yes. didn't know what was going on in my head. They're just thinking I'm cutting and pasting like, oh, yeah. happy day. And next thing you know, I'm like ripping shit up, throwing it in the trash. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. Fuck yeah. And so I blitzed. I was done with it. There's, there's a few moments in my life where I've done that. Like That's very a- poor, poorly planned emotional decisions that eventually you make work you know that's uh that's crazy because you know although we all have emotions right um you're not a very emotional person on the outside Mm -hmm. so doing something like that that's that's definitely emotional it is emotional and it's taking a risk because at that moment things uh could have gone many different ways. I had the two mentors yeah, and that was taking up a good portion of my time. So I already felt like I was, you know, and again, you're kind of a little bit short-sighted at that point. Uh, huge into fashion though. I wanted to start a fashion company. Really? That yeah. was, that was to- kind of your Tokyo death machine. Tokyo. What the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> Who does? So what, Sounds cool though, right? It does. Tokyo death machine, <laughs> but it's a fashion company. Uh, so it was a clothing company. I wanted to start my friend, Nate Styles and I were working on it. And, uh, that was that was the okay. Well, yeah, my life was kind of split between all these different things. That eventually was the impetus that led to me living in Los Angeles, though. Really? Because so we can kind of progress the story okay. a little bit here. Um, while working for the two mentors, uh, one was getting way too crazy. It was just getting way too intense, and uh, I was like, "That's not a good road. That's not a good road." <laughs> And money I, wasn't good enough. I, I, I know which one you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I was like, I think these lessons have been learned yeah. here. I don't know. <laughs> um, and then the other one, uh, one day I had talked to him about fashion. He called it the rag trade. Okay. Definitely no respect. He worked in titling. <laughs> the titling rag lending. trade. That's yeah. so fucked up. It is. Um, uh, wasn't a fan of it. And once I expressed interest in it, he was kind of done. Wow. He, and he left me a voicemail one day that was just like, hey. Th-. And we had worked together for like two years. Oh, and it was like really close. Like I, he, so he had all that money that he got from the exit and he had uh, incoming business plans that I would see and okay. we'd talk about them. He'd have me run errands. He owned a coffee shop. There's all these things. That and I you're 21? 22, 23, okay. around there. Yeah, somewhere between 21 and 24. Mm-hmm. And uh, all, all that stuff was really made. He like was real high level. So I learned a lot from him as like the technical style of stuff. Um, and uh, some political stuff too, I learned. But anyway, so it, it uh, eventually, he just called that day and was like, I'm, I'm done, you know, thanks for the time. And it was off. What the fuck? I called him back, didn't answer, never, never talked to him again. Motherfucker went to jail recently. What the I don't know, fuck? I don't, I'm not trying to talk about this no, because no, no, I fine. wish the best for everybody. For sure. And uh, I, I, it, it's just funny that he went to jail for, uh, basically, I think it was unlicensed trading okay so you basically take people's money with the promise of a return uh-huh. you can't do that without a license you cannot. It was a license I, it was some it's someone sent it to me wow like, didn't you used to work for this guy i'm like holy shit that's fucking crazy so, to- but i wish him the best for sure I, I mean i recently spent you know a year and a half in in cambridge and it was a pretty isolated experience where i wasn't around a ton of people very often yeah. and it gave me some introspection on what it's like to be isolated yeah. and how that how, how that can affect somebody. And I had a, a strong feeling that he feels isolation. I would think so in jail, not, you, you. Oh, well, not just in jail. Oh, outside of jail. Once the exit happened for him, 
he lived in a mansion that was up on a hill that had a big gate and never saw anybody but his dog. That is I was crazy. like probably the person that saw him the most regularly. You know, that's why when a lot of people think, um, you know, money brings you happiness. Money can bring you happiness for sure, right? But when does it become uh, just you being by yourself? I, I don't think money brings happiness. Um, I, have an, I have an insight well, on this I, that's interesting where it's, uh, or at least I, I find it interesting. Um, Money solves problems. There we go. But that can be. It, well, it, here's the cool thing about problems is you never solve all your problems. You just yeah. replace them for new problems. 100%. And what's interesting is that if you do make money uh, or a considerable lot of money and your problems shift, well, what do we normally talk about with our friends? Our problems. Of course. That's like a basis for conversation. Yeah. So when you start talking to your friends about, you know, tax implications and, and they're like, dude, shut the fuck up. I make nine fifty an hour. Like, what are you talking about? And you're like, okay, I can't talk to you about this. Yeah. And then you're like, I'm trying to, I'm thinking about buying this new car. Or, you know, I'm trying to move into this place or I'm trying like suddenly your friends have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. And your problems are no longer aligned. And yeah. you're just kind of like, okay, you're well, isolated. You're isolated. And it's not like you just pick up this whole new group of friends that are like, hey, over here, bro. Like, we got you. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> For uh, sure. You actually just end up isolated as fuck. Yeah. Uh, and not with a lot of people to talk about, about the things that you're actually trying to figure out and solve. For sure. And, you know, and people are like, okay, cool. But I mean, hey. I mean, like good problems to have, right? Yeah. We're social creatures. Yeah, for, for sure. We need to bond. That's why they say um, the people that have just like hit that cusp of financial freedom, right? Where money isn't an issue, but it's not so big that it causes bigger issues. We call that McDonald's. Rich. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Fuck you, money. Um, <laughs> not there yet. Well, yes. McDonald's rich is like, okay. And, yeah. yeah. Um, but those individuals that can just pay their bills, do nice things. Um, they say, statistically speaking, that they are the happiest, uh, because once you get past that bracket, mm. you do have bigger problems. And especially if you've been around people your entire life that are not, uh, you know, that wealthy, well, then you have all those problems to yourself because you can't talk about tax problems. You can't talk about this or that. Yeah. Uh, so you can't relate. And, and you also feel like you don't want to necessarily talk about these things yes. because they imply a level of wealth that you don't want to like that. You don't want to be seen like that. Of course. That's not, you want to be seen for the things that you care about yeah. and that you do. Yeah. Not. But that does not. suck because, you know, if you're a friend and your friend does have more money than you, you should be open to talk about whatever. And so if... Uh, you kind of put that out there. I don't, I don't know. But it's not that they don't want to. It's that they're not dealing with the same problem, which means their level of uh, being able to, you know, to, to comment yeah. or provide anything just of being value. being empathetic too. It's just not there. For sure, so. for sure. But, you know, for even for like you and I, we are at different levels in our life. Uh, but if you have a problem, I can still be empathetic towards you. And maybe it's, I, I don't understand at that same level, but I, can understand. Does that make sense? In a sense, yeah, right? it does, yeah. Right. Um, but I maybe just not everyone's like me too. Well, and the other thing is that I, I, I'm an introspective person. Yes. So I don't even know if most people identify these problems. Because once you identify a problem, you can at least start to navigate. For sure. Um, but if you never identify it, you just go off of instinct and <laughs> you become isolated and you recoil. And then, you know, it's, it's a whole different uh, process, I guess, if you don't try to understand. Absolutely. I just, I love people. I love psychology. I love my own psychology. I love figuring out how are we thinking and why are we thinking that way? Yeah. It's just super interesting. So, sorry. Um, so you, what was that point when you were like, okay, I'm moving to Los Angeles. What the fuck happened? 
So I went to a, a trade show called Magic. Okay. And it was a uh, fashion trade show. It was also it was like Magic, Pool, and Moda, I think were the three they did together. And they did it in Las Vegas. Okay. And I ran into this amazing guy named Cassidy Haley. That's a great has, name. Yes. At the time, he was one of the founders of a, of a clothing line called SkinGraft. I was blown away. Actually, I got to go back for that. Uh, there's a guy named Devin Taylor, All right. who I, I still consider him a friend. We just don't talk ever. That's I mean, right. ever. Uh, he's in Vegas, but we're very mentally, we're very, I, I feel like we were very aligned in our interests and stuff. Um, but he, uh, it was way back. I, I don't know if anybody's going to know this, but there's a clothing line that was like an underground clothing line, but it was like really sick back in the day called Bleeding Star Clothing. That's a great name though. I don't know. Yeah. I've never heard of he it. He was out of Ohio. His graphic designer made cool clothes, had a dope website, um, and I was like, "This is the coolest thing ever." And actually, that's why I initially got into uh, clothing and wanted to start Tokyo Death Machine. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. Be- did because of this individual, you're just so enamored yeah. by. He had a website called uh, uh, it was graphic design website, and I heard a song on there by a band called The Refused. You know, The Refused. Uh, fuck yeah, of course. Okay, and it's that it's like that song they're known for. Got it. It's just, it's like, I heard it and I was like, oh, my life's entirely different from this point forward. I love that. I fucking love that. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so then I just, I just went into like this hole of like, holy crap, who is this guy? What does he do? What is this all about? You know, and, and this is like early Tyler. Like I yeah. like was like finally excited about something. I still have a huge love for fashion. Um, although you, I wear like the same thing every single of day. Of course, but that. I've always known that about yeah. you for sure. So, uh, so anyway, so I get really obsessed with that. Um, he's going to be at uh, the trade shows out there. So I'm like, I'm just going to go out there. I think I'd messaged him a couple of times and he responded. So I was like, holy crap, he's responding. Um, and so, and then I met the skin graft people who were very different. They were like boutique fashion. Okay. And so there was, you know, what Devin was doing was really cool from a graphic design and a streetwear. And then what Cassidy and uh, John were doing was like, like high-end fashion that was like from another planet it was so impressive and it was to the point where i'm like i can't like i feel like i could be inspired by bleeding star and i could emulate that yes i could just love like skin graft but i can't do that that wasn't who i was as a person like i couldn't hit that level clearly accepting my limit in that area i love that about you man yeah so 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 anyways i go back to um los angeles and, and at that show i met a woman named cindy bailey who uh owned a company called art impressions who was an artist art representation licensing company who was working with a company called skill animals say that again skill animals that what's skeleton the- animals Clothing was, company? It was uh, a licensed brand, right. which means they had stuffed animals, they had t-shirts, they had, they had everything you could basically turn a brand into. And uh, so so I met her. It was a good interaction. Uh, I went back to Omaha and I told uh, I told Nate, I was like, Nate, we got to throw, throw a fashion show. We got to raise the money to move to Los Angeles. And so I think I was working for Red Bull at the time, just driving one of those tr- little trucks. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on. You were working for Red Bull? Yeah, you got to understand. I've had 48, 49 actual jobs, uh, like little like hourly jobs throughout. Like, I worked for a Chinese restaurant, Hollister, Abercrombie. I was a paper boy for a while. I mean, I did. You've I, done I it all. Steaks, I I washed windows. I cleaned office. I mean, I've literally done it all. How old were you when you got your first job? And then we'll bounce back. Uh, I was detasseling corn when I was 14. 
Wait, what? Yeah, detasseling coins. So, so when you plant corn, <laughs> you plant one male row and four female rows. Okay. The male row grows tall, and the female rows grow a little bit shorter. All right. They got machines to do this, but they'd rather send, I guess, 14-year-old kids to the, I love from that. the corn field. <laughs> so we'd get up at like 4 a.m., meet at this high school, drive out to the middle of nowhere with like all these people I don't know. Like I think my brother was with me, and maybe I met a few people. And then what we would do is just walk down the aisles of corn, detasseling and basically the females would grow a tassel at the top okay. you'd have to pull the tassel out so that the males could pollinate the females wow. and you'd be going and going and going and then you'd run into a massive field spider and you'd scream and you'd run and then your leader would be like get back get back here <laughs> you have someone following someone be following about 20 feet behind you catching everything you missed no way it was it was rough <laughs> it was and rough. it's scary not scary. It Not, was rough. Ah. It, it felt like uh, it felt like you were one of the lost boys or something. Okay, and okay. Like you were like it, it, it was weird. I mean, now when I think about it today, I'm like it's a little weird. Thing I don't even know what that exactly is doing. Uh, uh, whatever. All right, that's okay. So, so that was my like first a, yeah. job, and then it was like bagging groceries, and then and you the just whole fucking night, everything. All right, everything. so kind of go go back forward. Vegas. How'd you get to LA? So uh, so Nate and I, I was like, hey, we got the fashion show, and uh, he had randomly known this photographer named Michelle Starr. And uh, what was funny was I was on MySpace looking around for like who I wanted to shoot Tokyo Death Before Machine. Instagram, before Facebook, MySpace. We got MySpace. Yep. Tom was your friend. Exactly. And uh, so, and, and I go to Nate and I say, hey, Nate, I found this amazing photographer. She's out of Los Angeles. Her name's Michelle. He goes, I know her. I go, no, you don't, dude. We, we're in Iowa because he lived in Council Bluffs. And I'm yeah. like, we're, we're just two dudes in the middle of nowhere. She's a Los <laughs> Angeles photographer. He's like, I'll call her right now. Shut up. Do it, bro. Calls her. And she answered, she's like, Nate, how are you? And she was going to go visit, and she had apparently grown up in Des Moines. Wow. And so she was going back for a wedding. So we went out there, and you know, I told her, so we're going to throw this fashion show. I'd love if you came out and shot. She was the photographer for Skull Animals as well. And also for uh, J- this guy named Jason Meiju, who's like coolest dude ever, like super LA dude. Um, and as a Midwestern guy, I'm like, oh, who's this guy with throat tattoos and shit? Like, yeah. this guy's cool as hell. <laughs> and he had a clothing line called Malice. Okay, that sound actually sounds familiar. Yeah, it was really big out yeah, here for a yeah. while. Super dope. Uh, really cool at the time. Worked with a lot of bands. Okay. And he ended up being graphic designer for a lot of the bands. And so, you know, those super metal looking yes. shirts. That yes. was, Like he did all that stuff, that zombies him. and shit like that. Yeah. So, uh, so anyways, and then I met another guy named Ben Spangler, who is still a really good friend because right. he lives in Minneapolis where my parents have moved. Uh, amazing chef, like one of the best, and just started a uh, an ice cream company called Baby Zitos. Baby Zitos? It's going to be huge. Is it online yet? Uh, so it's really hard to ship ice cream. Okay. And so it's all local in Minneapolis. Well, if you're Minneapolis. Dude, it's going to be so... He makes like Skittles ice cream. He made pizza ice cream. What? I ate ice cream that tasted like pizza. And it was good. Yes. The dude's been a chef his entire life. Like when wow. I talk about work ethic and obsessive, like here's me. Here's my brother. Here's Ben. <laughs> He's like 10 yards. Like He's Simon like, level? Oh, yeah. Like Simon's a machine. No, no one's at Simon's okay. level. But he's, he's like, Ben's like superhuman okay. uh, in comparison to like most people as far as his work. It's like always food constantly. I love and that. And he's worked at every major uh, restaurant in Minneapolis. And now he's decided to finally do his own thing. And he's going to freaking kill it. Good for him, man. So, well, uh, I'll, I'll put his information in the credits of this yeah, podcast. Yeah, super, yeah. super agree. Uh, so, but he had at the time, he had a clothing line called Pure Imagination Clothing. It's cool. Uh, Pulled off the uh, Willy Wonka stuff. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he, uh, so I got Ben from Pure Imagination, Jason from uh, Malice, Michelle Starr came out and shot it, uh, and then Skull Animals was in it, and then Tokyo Death Machine was obviously in it. it was the whole reason we threw it, and then a local, a local designer named um, Autopilot. Yeah. Autopilot. Yeah. And how old were you at this time? 
23. So this is the first time you really put something big together. I'm, you gotta understand, I've been doing like knickknack entrepreneurial stuff. For sure. The whole, the whole through the whole process. But I had 23 years old, this is like a culmination of everything that you have learned uh, up until that point and kind of use kind of put all the pieces to the puzzle and this was like the first time i'm just no uh there were were things (laughs) there's so many things that i had done that had like in the fashion industry not in the fashion industry okay so i guess Uh, an example uh my friend steve katz and i steve's still an amazing friend awesome uh, poker player actually makes his living doing his freaking super smart guy um but he and i did a thing called uh the black book and we ran we went out to all the bars in omaha and uh got them to give like coupons okay. for drinks and it was like you know a five dollar drink uh and then we got i think like a hundred bucks worth of drinks in this thing and then we printed off these really cool coupon books and then we took it to fraternities to do to do promote to do as uh fundraisers nice so they would sell these hundred dollars in drinks for 20 bucks perfect yeah and it's a small knickknack no but that's you cool kind of, you learn stuff in the process of doing these weird things those are always for like wendy's and like stupid places yeah. like that so to put it together for drinks for that's, that's real pretty, mean looking yeah. it was like Thick, I definitely got to say that. But as cool. far as kind of putting, so that was really cool, mm-hmm. right? But as in the fashion industry, all of these different people from all over the place, um, it sounds a little bit bigger than that book. I also had a promotions company called Six Star. Hey, man, I'm just try, <laughs> I'm try, I'm trying to build you up here. Yeah, I want that we'll pivotal moment. But that can pivotal I, moment. Can I, go, go. I just want to talk can about... I get a, can, I, can I talk about the Make It Rain party? Okay, man. <laughs> All right. Vinny Bonwo. I hope he's listening. Wow, that's uh, a great name, too. Awesome, dude. Dude, this is he's awesome. Like, he's like 10 feet tall from the Ivory Coast. Like the what best, the most positive person ever. I think he's in Vegas doing promotions now. Nice. So we threw this party called the Make It Rain party. <laughs> And what we did is it was at a place called Citrus in Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, I don't think it's there anymore, but we took the entire door, which ended up being like 1500 bucks, turned it all into ones and just threw it on the dance floor. It was ridiculous. Wait, what? Yeah, it would make it rain. It was when that song came out. Make the, it rain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I fucking love that. We didn't make any money that make night. Make it rain on them we house. Like, yeah. We were like local celebrities for like 20, 22 minutes. Dude. It was freaking awesome. Whose fifteen hundred dollars was that? <laughs> well, it was from the door, right? Okay. It was like ten bucks to get in. We and turned they, it all into ones, and, and they we just <laughs> we just stood on the bar and threw okay. it down. So, anyways, I did a lot of really stupid businesses that didn't make a ton of money. But yeah. I learned a lot in the process. Even even doing something like that, I don't know. You gotta get comfortable with walking up to complete strangers and be like, "What are you doing with your Friday night?" No, no, no. You gotta go here. This is gonna yeah. be great. So you learn these, you know, human interactions or whatever. It's important. They sound stupid, but man, I'm telling you, a lot of people can't walk up to a stranger and talk to him. No, a lot of people can't. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. Not at all. But it's a valuable thing if you can do it. Absolutely. So anyways, you learn weird do, do you think that is something that you learn or is it something that is, you know, innately built into us? Uh, you learn because it's not comfortable. At no point does it ever become truly comfortable, especially if you're sober For all the time. For sure. So it's not, I can't say that it's innately built in, but you know what I think of often is that there's like a, a teeter-totter. Uh-huh. And on the other side of the teeter-totter is what you want. And then on the other, the flip side is what you're willing to do. And if what you want is have everything what you're willing to do, you're going to do it. Sure. I think I might've fucked that up, but you no, get no, my point, I, right? I do. But you know, here, here's the thing. It's like, uh, you have someone like me and then you have someone like Ron, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ron is our, our buddy. He does warehouse management for Ergo Styling Tools. For me, walking up to someone that I don't know, as long as I can remember, 
uh, is a hundred times easier than someone like Ron walking up to someone. Mm-hmm. Now that was not something I learned. It was something that I just have always been. So I do believe that uh, people are more, there are people that are more inclined and sure. that it's a lot easier yeah. and then there's not. And that's, uh, we'll that's call, fascinating. We'll call it, uh, uh, there's a there's a wiring of calmness or something mm-hmm. to allow you to approach somebody yeah. that, you know, because people read each other really quickly and you walk and you're all sketched. They're going to be like, what the fuck is happening right now? But if you can maintain, you know, low energy levels or whatever energy level that gets somebody like comfortable, maybe maybe that's something. But I, I definitely think a lot of these things can be learned. Well, you know, kind of getting something that, that is uh, like learned, right? Uh, when I started this podcast, I would always think about uh, what should I say next? The next word when someone's talking. And mm. what was happening is I was halfway listening. Um, mm. And then I started to realize... Ah, drawn a blank on the chick's name that wrote this book uh but uh kind of make to make it simple it, she's she was saying that when you sit there and think about what you're going to say next mm-hmm. you're only halfway listening to the Makes conversation yeah. so if you fully listen to the conversation you're more engaged that conversation is going to flow a lot better yeah and i have taken that and you know the short amount of time i've been doing this and it feels a lot more natural yeah so that was definitely learned now completely different than what i was saying but things can definitely be learned whatever the hell it is we learn by doing better than, i mean i think most people i'm sure there's different ways of learning for sure learning by doing it really solidifies just it. fucking do it yeah exactly just fucking, do it. just fucking do it okay so get back to that um you know everything you were putting together for so yeah so we put together this uh <clears throat> awesome show i had the awesome local dj brent crampton i believe his name was super cool guy still in Omaha, i think um he was a dj so obviously brought a crowd in i had uh it was called audio style nice yeah i like i love the name because it was a mix of music we made music part of the deal too <clears throat> and the red bull sponsored it which was cool so they po- sponsored this huge stage it was like so, shaped yeah. like a three with a with the like the an arm on it um and it was at a place called the nomad which was this really cool bar it was like a uh, all brick inside they had art everywhere that was super uh, eclectic looking it was all it was so cool so everybody flew out from the respective cities. Um, we did the show. It was it was good. It, I raised just enough money to basically get myself to Los Angeles. But more importantly, uh, since Skull Animals was in it, and it was obviously a success, and Michelle came out, took all the photos, I was offered a job at Skull Animals. Nice. So that was like my landing pad for Los Angeles. Wow. So I pulled the ripcord, and I was like, let's do this, and ended up in Los Angeles. So- and uh Oh, yeah, 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 that's basically the story <laughs> as it is. Um, and then, and Nate followed uh, a few months later, and we lived together in the in Van Nuys with Michelle. We, I ended up living with Michelle Starr, Small the photographer, right? Yeah. So, and that was cool. That was for a couple of years we did that. So, do you remember the moment that you got to LA, how you felt? I remember driving into Art Impressions for the first time, and I called my friend Ann Vu, and I was like, Ann, I, I am concerned <laughs> really i remember the conversation i remember where i was at on the 101 and i remember feeling like i'm so unsure but she said like the most positive shit to me it was like the right person to call at the right time and uh i don't remember anything before or after that but clearly it was good i, so, I always yeah. uh i i fully know what you're talking about the right person at the right time once again i'm going to go back to you i was talking about the recycling little thing that i wanted to sure. do because you're the person that i would go to if i have an idea or a thought and uh when you said those words just fucking do it 
I put that towards the podcast and look at where we are today. So yeah. uh, it is right person, right time to kind of help you kind of get through whatever the heck is going on. So you didn't have that feeling of like, I fucking made it, even though you... Uh, oh, God, no. I was terrified, dude. Good. Because the first year in Los Angeles was the hard... Well, I thought it was actually got worse, <laughs> but... It was tough, Sorry. and it was tough because I was away from my my group, right? Yeah. No friends, no family necessarily. I had Michelle. Actually, that was great. Michelle introduced me to everybody, and I met. I mean, I met a hundred people all through her. That some of them are still friends. Uh, LA is a very transient city, especially the scene that that was, which was like the kind of like the rock scene. Like, I don't know what to call it really, but it was a music scene mixed with a lot of art. Okay. And a lot of models and a lot of it was very much transient. So here today, gone tomorrow. So you're like, yes. where's that person at? You know, and it's like, oh, they moved back to their hometown. You know, they ran out of money. And it's like, oh, shit. Okay. That happens a lot. It totally happens a lot. But in Hollywood was where I spent most of my time. So that it, was. For sure. And it's uh, not only is it hard because there's so many people, but it's expensive. You know, you do have to make a considerable amount of money to live in these places. Or. You just have really sketchy living situations. Well, that too, right? <laughs> but, but which one do you want? When you're younger, is, yeah. when you're younger, those are things that you got to go through, man. I used to live in um, one of the ghettoest parts of Florida uh, when I was 22 years old. Yeah. But it created a lot of character. It helped me Florida, out a man, lot. Florida devours his dog it before does. killing neighbor. It, like. it, it, it seriously does. All the freaking time. The craziest shit that you ever hear. Where yeah. does it come from? Florida, man. Florida. Yeah. I, I mean, I can literally close my eyes and go, oh, that's in Florida. Yeah. When you're living there, it is fucking crazy. I remember uh, there was this one place called Loxahatchee, and I swear to you, you get into this town, and it was like 18 freaking 45 uh the south like you got confederate flags everywhere and just like crazy shit and everyone's yeah. got their shotguns and and they're ready and there's tons of nice amazing people sure. but i remember what uh, my friends would like to do on the weekends they would like to go wakeboarding so they would go to lake loxahatchee one of the friends would have a boat and they would get in now mind you there's like a thousand fucking alligators in this one <laughs> lake i've wakeboarded a whole bunch of times would I ever get in that water? Are you fucking kidding me? No way. No, I'm not bullshitting. And the thing is, is like, well, that's, you know, those people are from Florida. Like, who the fuck does that? Florida's awesome. Some places are crazy. Some places are good. A, it's kind it, of a South thing. It, it, sure. St. Joseph was in the South, but a lot of my memories of people being reckless was St. Joseph. People oh, yeah. lighting fireworks that would blow up, like, on them. Like, I watched a guy get lit on fire by a firework that he was <laughs> it's lighting. It's not funny, actually. No. That's I'm on fire, That's what he said as he ran away. I had it on film. Is he okay? Yeah, he was fine. Damn, well, he's fine. He crazy. actually passed away recently. He was <laughs> well, he's definitely. <laughs> and you're he laughing. lived an awesome life, from what I could tell. Okay, yeah. good. Um, and so, I mean, well, that's kind of just because there's not a lot of do, lot of stuff to do. So you got to make your own stuff up, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's probably, how it is, right? Yeah, yeah. When you live in somewhere like LA, there's always something going on. Yeah, you're when, trying not to get set on fire on a daily basis well, for whatever that you're, reason. That's yeah. kind of the struggle. The struggle is real. When you kind of now bringing it all the way back, so when you come to LA mm -hmm. um how long were you at Skill Animal for so the company was actually called Art Impressions but I was there Art Impressions sorry it gets all fuzzy but maybe two years maybe a year it wasn't it wasn't a long time oh yeah it was another one of those situations so uh so so I worked there for a little while and you know there was a expectation that I had to be put into a sales position it's what I had really kind of lived off of for a while uh, it didn't come to fruition and probably business environment changed a little bit, but you know, I didn't not point any fingers, but 
either way, it wasn't working out. And uh, there was a day where a particular vendor was coming in that I really liked. And uh, I was going to be in the meeting. I had expected to be like brought into the meeting to learn, you know. And first thing I was asked is go get coffee. Nice. Flashback to college. Fuck this. And I'm out. You lit yourself on fire. I lit myself on fire. (laughs) I'm on fire. I'm on fire, you bitches. And I was done. And I walked out and I called my dad pretty quick. And I was like, dad, I just quit. I don't know what to do. And I don't remember the advice, but I'm sure it was like, man, you got to figure it out. So I ended up on uh, Craigslist and uh, that's how I got into the beauty industry. So right, right when you, uh, right when you walked out, did you do like, you know, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool and throw the coffee or what, what was it? Coffee never was, was never re- retrieved. Um, I, ne- I just, I actually think I said, sure, I'll be right back. And I never went back. Nice. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Fuck that, man. Yeah. How old were you? 24. All right. So 24 yeah. years old. Man, that's. But I had rent and a car payment and not have much money in the bank. So shit was going to get real, real fast. And going through that, you were probably stressed the fuck out. Um, you know, I don't think I felt too much stress at the time. You were weird, dude. To be quite honest. It's I just, amazing. It's not, not weird, but. It, I mean, and you know, I felt stress. At that time, I didn't feel much stress. I've felt stress in my life for sure, man, for sure. Like you don't try to do things like yeah. like build businesses without feeling stress but there was something about that i think i was too young to recognize the danger i was okay in. <laughs> okay okay well that actually you, you were naive yeah. and i do actually you're right um because i did feel the same way it wasn't until i got into my mid to later 20s that i started stressing out Bingo. Right? that was me too so I, yeah. I do get that all right so you get on craigslist and you look for an escort yeah yeah no exactly. i'm just joking like, let's figure this out um <laughs> I actually was just looking for any opportunity and uh, I actually found, uh, okay, this is when I, this is when I actually met uh, Scott Cox. Scott Cox. Uh, He was, he was running um, the Flatiron Company. Uh, GHD. GHD. Yeah. And then, so I found two opportunities. Both were in beauty, which was interesting. Wow. One was uh, GHD, which was the Flatiron Company. And it was like a sales position. Sweet. It was a car. Uh, it was a laptop. It was, it, was all kind of, it was awesome. It was like a sweet deal. And then there was another opportunity, which was um, a scissor sharpener. And he was living in a trailer with his wife and his kids. And they wanted to charge me um, $1,100 to get my first set of shears that I would use to then walk into salons with. If the wow. audience doesn't know, uh, scissors are, are shears, are a really important tool for a hairdresser. Uh, they're very delicate, actually. Yeah. The, the blade's edge has got to be very maintained very carefully. You can't cut anything but hair. And all this was new to me, but the mechanical side of it was really interesting. I was like, oh, this is crazy. It's like a, you know, it's like a sword, and so it's got to be taken <laughs> care of. But I, I recognized that there was an intense value to this thing to each hairdresser. For sure. And I also then realized that it needed to be serviced. And I was like, okay, there's a lot of opportunity in here because I know there's hairdressers everywhere. Um, and through, <clears throat> throughout my life, I'd just always had great friendships with, with hairdressers. Um, I always like felt drawn to them and, and was good, like fashion I and hair and all that yeah, stuff. It's all, it's all intertwined. Yeah. So, uh, so I was like, okay, that's really interesting. And then Scott did the whole sell, sell me this pencil thing, <laughs> but I fucking nailed it. For sure. So he, he offered me the job wow. and then it was like, pay $1,100 or go work for Scott Cox, which would have been an awesome idea. Probably should, I mean, it's, it would have been an interesting different path because I chose to pay $1,100 for a set of shears. Are you fucking kidding me? No, my mom what is, cried. What she is was pissed. You had an opportunity to get a car, a uh-huh. cell phone, 
Um, obviously, you didn't know Scott Cox back then. No, I actually, I probably made that a little bit too simple. I asked a lot of questions to Scott, and um, Scott was nothing but honest. He told me everything. And I also knew one of the GHD reps. So I knew what I was going to get paid. I knew how many reps there were. Um, and I knew what my sales goals were. Um, and math didn't work. I was like, well, if all this is true, and it's true for everybody in the company, we're probably losing money each month. Um, I also learned that the rest of the United States had just been handed over to distribution, I think through Salon Centric or okay. one of the other ones. And so I was like, okay, so wait, they got California, they got this many reps. I did the math and I'm like, I don't think this job is going to last for very long. Yeah. That was also a big reason. Oh, that's for probably why. around the time uh, Maley's, right, uh, was bought out. Yes, yeah. I think so. But anyways, uh, fast forward to that story. In about a year, they fired everybody, and it was the end of that. Smart decision. I, you know, in, in retrospect, it was. Yeah. Um, and then the scissor thing actually turned out to be really great. I was overcharged for the scissors, but for sure. I didn't know any better at the time. So, um, But I then got back into my happy place of cold calling. Just walking into a place and being like, hi. <laughs> Serious? That's your happy place? I fucking love it. It's it's hard. It is. And so there's so much there's such a huge sense of accomplishment when you like get it right. Yeah. And it becomes a dance. I and when that. you get good at a hard dance, there's a lot of satisfaction in that. And so I it, it was tough though. I remember the first place I walked into and I was like, uh, oh, is your boss here? They're like, who are you? And I'm like, ah, I don't and know. I, and I left. It's scary. I walked out. Yeah. I just walked out. And I was like, I'm going to cross it off the list. I will never be able to go back there. Um, and then it was the moment where I sat in my car. I'm like, I fuck up. Is my life fucked up? Am I gonna, what am I going to yes. do with my life? And I was like, actually, before I consider all that, let me walk into the next place. Okay. And then, uh, again, I, the memory goes f- fuzzy, but it must have worked out. Because um, I ended up meeting something like 2,000 hairdressers over the course of probably two or three years. Um, you know, a lot of the guys who did the sharpening were like these older guys and kind of kind of messy, a little sloppy walking in there. And I was cleaned up and, you know, being pleasant. And you were handsome. Handsome. And I uh, had a loaner shear for them and I take theirs. And I, I, you know, I ended up using multiple sharpeners so I'd have different tiered pricing. And it was it was new. And uh, a lot of the people who were doing it were really like inconsistent. Yeah. They'd take the scissors and come back for two weeks. And it's like, hey, where'd you go with my fifteen hundred dollars So that's something that people do not know. Um, Once you get to a level of uh, success within the hair industry and you start making some money, even before that, um, these individuals pay a lot of money for their scissors. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, even people that, you know, maybe aren't even that successful, uh, they might still buy them. But people don't know that some shears cost, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars. When I'm cutting hair and someone asks me, not anymore, but like, oh, how much were those couple hundred bucks? I'm like, no, eighteen hundred dollars. Right, yeah. Um, do you really think an eighteen hundred dollar shear is worth eighteen hundred dollars? Uh it really depends on the brand. There are some. Uh Hikaris were always awesome and very much worth the value. Mizutani, always very expensive. But, but are the they value. made by hand, each individual one? Some of them are, yeah. Uh, they're in, actually pounded out and made by an individual person and each side's made and they're bonded together. I mean it's like it's a process. And you know, Matsuzaki was another one they did. I mean, and I learned so much about shears, right? Um, sure. And I gained this huge respect for the tool and the industry and the heritage. And it's a dying industry too, because yeah. it's like a very like hands-on type thing. And a lot of the people who do it are much older and it's hard to pass it on. I mean, I wandered into it out of complete need, found a niche, was able to survive on it for years and, uh, and, and made tons and tons of friends and contacts. So 
Uh, but to answer the question really directly, more often than not, people pay way too much for the shares that they have. Yeah, that's exactly Especially right. if it's on some sort of payment plan, it's, you're paying out the gas for it. So. <laughs> not naming any names. No. Uh, Great people. But, but for, for sure. Uh, absolutely. And it was a smart business model, right? Um, that being said, uh, you know, I can just kind of hear your passion when you're talking about the craft and the artisan of, uh, you know, hammering it out and just kind of the way it was kind of funny. Just kind of see your eyes light up. Um, I actually forgot how much I got into it. Yeah. I, back then it was like survival. For sure. And so I was like, I am going to know more about these. And I ended up giving education at places and it was like, who's this non-hairdresser? <laughs> but interesting. I did find that most hairdressers did not understand their shears. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of technical words that the, that the manufacturers use to describe them, that the hairdressers, so there's a communication problem that I was able to cover that gap, yeah. which was helpful. Um, but more often than not, they could not diagnose problems because there's no manual. It's not taught in beauty school. You don't know how to maintain it. So some guy off the street's like, oh, did you know that, you know, you just need to clean it. It's not broken. Just swipe <laughs> that off. And, you know, you kind of just said it with, uh, you know, not super huge technical terms and broke it down to these individuals in a way that's easy to digest. Interesting thing there, too. I often hear a lot of my friends who are in business say, well, people are so stupid. And they're very negative about the idea of that. But I, I really think it's important to understand that very few people are actually stupid. Yeah. Everybody's busy. Yes. And when you're busy, you kind of look stupid sometimes. So if you're busy being a crazy good hairdresser and you're busy getting good at, you know, actually using the tool, maybe you don't have time to like really understand the nuances of the... Why should you? Why should you? It, just, it isn't going to provide much more value. No. You just kind of got to be neurotic to get, you know, deep into it and be like, what's this all about? Absolutely. Versus, you know, just focusing on the more enjoyable side probably of actually using the tool. So, uh, but that lesson plays out nicely in all life. Absolutely. People are not stupid. They're busy. No, you know, and I think the, a lot of people that say that, oh, people are so stupid. Maybe they're stupid themselves for even saying something like that because with human beings now having what, a seven second uh, attention span, why would even just like, because we're talking about hair, uh, why would they even want to care about those things when they could put their energy and time to something that's going to help them out and bring them more money Right. Uh, when someone else can do it for them? Exactly. Right. right. So it's just, um, yeah. So you, you definitely made a great point. So you did that for what, three years? Feels like it. <laughs> you know, it, the reason it blurs is because uh, as I built that distribution network of shears, it made so much sense to introduce brushes, combs, and clips, which is how I met Robert. All right. Uh, because I had started to introduce Ergo into the, the different things I was selling. Why don't you real quick, uh, people listening, who is Robert and what is Ergo? So Robert is like a legend in yeah. the beauty industry, uh, super well-respected, known by everybody. Robert uh, Reed. Robert Reed. And uh, owns a company called Ergo, which makes the best hairbrushes in the industry, uh, makes flat irons, crimper, blow dryers. Um, and he, in his history is like top. Just amazing. Yeah. He's going to be on here um, on like the 8th. Oh, that'll be fun. Uh, absolutely, because I'm going to dive deep into oh, his earlier years. Tell some of those stories. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I really hope he does open up. He'll probably pull the whole uh, thing I just did, which is I already can't talk about those uh, weird you know, uh, I'll just tell him I'm not recording and I'll put it on. Uh, yeah, like you know? did like, what the fuck, Brock? No, I'm just joking. Uh, Robert Reed is uh, a huge mentor for both of us. Mm-hmm. You know, um, for me, he transformed my entire life. And, you know, for you, he's helped out, you out a lot. Oh, man, critical timing. Uh, yeah. And we'll get to that. For sure. So, so yeah. So, and then also there's a guy named Daniel Funk, who okay. I don't think a lot of people know who he is, but they definitely know the Passion Beauty books. If they're in the beauty industry, these huge books. If you ever walked in a set in a salon, you see this book that's like way too big and it has these huge photos in it. So Daniel Funk and his wife did those. 
uh, books all through the 80s and the 90s and probably the 2000s too. He's also one of the biggest importers of Japanese products. So through him, I uh, was how I met my like high grade sharpener. I would go through him for that. And uh, then I would also buy combs and clips from a company called Wise Parks. There we go. Really good stuff. And uh, so the anyways, best combs, man. Right. So I was, you know, and, and that's the thing. It gets a little funky because uh, I ended up hiring a guy and the, the original sharpener thought that I was his employee, but I was like building this little empire on the side where I like hired this guy who was working a different territory and I was taking it to another sharpener and I was like selling combs, clips, brushes, cases, all this other stuff. And, sure. and he just thought I was doing sharpening out there. And, and I, you know, I don't feel bad for it necessarily. It's just that we were moving at two different speeds. Yeah. And, you know, I, I got this mentality sometimes I can't be bothered with if somebody else is being very slow and careful and I'm like, oh, fuck it, let's just go. Let's just figure it out. Well, you know, the risks are there. Let's do it. So, and then that eventually actually led up to a really emotional day when he found out and uh, we sat in this coffee shop and he was not happy. And How'd I, that make you feel? I felt bad. Um, I felt bad because in my mind, it was me pursuing my... Um, my goal in pursuing like a better life for myself. And there was, there was not a clear way to, to make it a cohesive action because there, his wife was involved and then he was involved. And there was, there was a lot of like hangups that I had as far as the scissors were concerned and paying $1,100 for scissors that were worth like 200 bucks. Exactly. Uh, so I had some, you know, misgivings already. And, 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 freaking awesome people like really good genuine nice people too so and but this is the world of humans and the world of business and and sometimes i don't you know we, we behave differently sometimes in different situations so i was acting out of a lot of self-interest and also desperation i mean i was i was broke as hell and just trying to scrap together each day you know making rent and stuff like that so looking for every opportunity to make more money um and always thinking of what's best for the client too because yeah. also the clients are like hey like, cause they liked me. Like they got to know me and they're like, you're a good guy. You're really working hard. You're doing this stuff. Can you get these combs? And I'm like, I can absolutely get those combs. And, uh, there's not a lot of margin in combs. So you don't necessarily bring that into like the entire operation. Yeah. You just buy a comb and you sell a comb. So anyways, um, that eventually led to a company called beauty Fox All right. that I started and beauty Fox was, uh, designed to be a technology platform. Um, you know, it had started off as building websites. I, I loved the design aspect of building websites. So we would build websites for salons. And uh, man, I went all in. I went all in. Yeah, 100%. I know you did. And, you know, the company had morphed over time. It got me into that tech incubator that I mentioned earlier called Founders Institute, which was a guy named Stephen Estes actually got me into the institute because we right. had met through friends. God, there's so many stories that I can't, I, like, I, not I that I can't it. tell you. There's just no time to tell you about all the For Hollywood sure. days. For sure. God, there's some wild stuff. What we're doing is we're just doing bits and pieces to yeah. kind of paint a picture of your life. You know, we don't have 15 hours. I know, so, so much that's but, in there. So, so Stephen uh, calls me one day and he's like, hey, man, I, I need you to take a look at this thing called the Founders. You got to take this test and you're like, trying to identify entrepreneurs that have a particular skill set or whatever. And I'm like, this sounds perfect. Like I'm, I, I cannot be stopped. Like I'm just like a juggernaut as it relates to entrepreneurship. I'll do anything. I'll work hundred hours, you know, a week. It doesn't matter. So I take this test, I get accepted. Um, I actually went all the way through the program. People dropped out day one, you know, day 15, people are dropping out the entire time. Um, I checked through this entire thing. People have way more experience than me. They're way smarter than I am. They're way better at entrepreneurship, but I'm just like, can't fucking stop me. And that's the point, right? Yeah. It's, uh, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. Just don't stop. Exactly. And, uh, 
I had a stupid haircut at the time. So they're all business people. I'm like, who the fuck is what, this? What, like kid? the faux hawk shit? It was a faux hawk with a rat tail inside. It was so it weird. Was, dude, I, I, was, I cut your hair a whole bunch of times. That shit looked dope. It was it was all over the place. Right though. now, it, you know, you're, you it's know, chill, whatever. But back in the day, it was. Cool. It was all over the place. It yeah. was purple at one point. It was all, it was wild. And But, but anyways, for me walking into a salon, that was credibility. Yeah. Me walking into a room full of legit billionaires who were like tech entrepreneurs and they were trying to teach this, you know, new set of entrepreneurs didn't earn any credibility. It was like, who is this guy? Is he getting drinks? Why is he here? Is he on drugs? <laughs> no, exactly. Where you've had that probably your whole life. Now, but these people were like 20 years your age, right? Uh, well, the people in the in the actual class were not, uh, but obviously the people, I mean, 20s, 30, 40 years older, and in some instances, super, it, exactly. super amazing people. Like, like the people you want to learn from that do not teach college classes. Like they're exactly. the ones that can tell you like, this is actually how life works. Real, real life experience. Do you think though, kind of one second question, do you think that when we become those individuals, uh, the, the way that you look is not really going to matter because no, it matters incredibly, uh, but even, you know, just think about it. 30 year olds are getting tatted up. People, yeah. the way we dress the hair, not the way, not to like come in like a schlub, right? right? But you can still have tattoos and look good. Y- yes. But you, ha- you, I mean, this is the human psychology stuff that I love so much is that we have eyes for a reason. Yes. And the eyes, they're a sense, they're a, they're a way of navigating the world, right? So we also have heuristics that we use to make decisions. Uh-huh. And so um, these heuristics are shortcuts for figuring out how to behave. Because you can't possibly dig into every situation and understand. You have tattoos. I have tattoos. So does the murderer. Okay, cool. So there's three of us, right? Um, if you have tattoos and murderers have tattoos and convicts have tattoos, there's an association there that cannot be denied by the human brain. Even when rationally when, we can get there, sure. I, and, and, and I believe we will. God knows I'm not saying that I don't think tattoos. No, I know that. Whatever. Well, like, you fucking are tatted, so. right? So, so my point is though, in my understanding and my respect for uh, a someone else's perspective, is that they're going to have filters and heuristics that they have developed that have worked quite well for them. For sure. And I am subjected to those. Mm-hmm. And if I run through a filter and get caught up in a shitty haircut or a tattoo that looks funny or whatever, I have to accept that I've, I've, I've been caught in a filter that that person has that's been doing them quite well. Correct. And I can be, I can be what am I, I mad at them for that? No. Am I going to, you know, this isn't fair. I'm an in- individual, you know, fuck you. Like that's such a silly ass way to respond, right? Absolutely. I should appreciate that I caught it or that they were clear enough with me so that I understand that I'm getting caught in this filter and then find a way to decide, you know, is what I want going to change my behavior? A teeter-totter thing. Again. It is. It is that teeter-totter. But I guess my point is, is when the 30-year-olds of this generation mm-hmm. are 60, a large portion of us in the United States of America will have tattoos. So every situation is different, right? Yeah. So there clearly will be situations in which it works and clearly situations in which it doesn't. Yeah. It's kind of like being well-dressed. No one's ever going to be like, look at that well-dressed fool. Absolutely. It's being underdressed. That's the problem. Yeah. You walk into a place in which people expect you to be well-dressed and you're underdressed and then it's, it's going gonna, it's it's gonna to be a disservice to yourself Absolutely. if you're trying to accomplish something. I don't think a tattoo... No, 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 this is totally inaccurate. You walk into a certain environment, a throat tattoo is going to give you credibility. Yeah. So it's, again, it's all subjective. It but, is. you know, and, and again, all that stuff, I really just put to the side. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I respect it, I understand it. And if it becomes an observation, then I'll navigate it if I can. But for the most part, I think charisma and effectiveness and confidence, all that 
is pretty much going to trump it. 100%. Do you think it's, um, well, hold on, it's kind of a back step. Uh, mm-hmm. You're talking about like the way you look and the way you dress. So when I walk into, um, you know, kind of wherever and I've got my hoodie on and my vest and all that shit, my jeans, uh, bandana hanging on my left pocket, uh, and I walk in, a large portion of people that are older are going to look at me a certain way or judge me. But if I walk into that same place, um, the way I do at events with a you know suit, mm-hmm. jacket, fucking looking sharp, yeah. even with my tattoos, those people look at me uh, not like they did if I was dressed, you know, sure. normally. Yes. Um, and I do see kind of this evolution happening where tattoos are becoming less and less of an issue. True. Um, so I guess I'm just wondering if one day. Uh, not, not a fucking face tattoo, but you know, just tattoos like I have, it's not going to be looked at, uh, you know, the way that it has for a long time. I think it's already changing. Yeah. Probably continue to change. Um, who knows though, you know, style changes, but you're right. I mean, the more people get tattooed, the more it becomes a socially acceptable thing. And there is this also this funny thing is that sometimes a successful person with tattoos gets this little glow Yeah, because it's like, they're successful with tattoos. They must be a murderer. Like they are not not a legit murderer. They no. must be like a really intelligent, effective person yeah. able to overcome the tattoo for sure no. to be successful. A- absolutely. Even for me, at the level that that I'm at, and it's not anywhere near where I envision myself being. Sure. Um, I'm like shit. You know, even with my tattoos, the way that people will perceive me, I'm like okay. I'm I'm like you know, getting there and it feels good. Yeah. Right. So I can only imagine the motherfucker that, uh, you know, has got that fuck you money kicking ass. He's all tatted up. It does. It kind of is like, you know, fuck all of you. I, I did it my way. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so getting to it, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, beauty Fox, the beginning, what was kind of the thought process behind it? So the idea was to build websites for a monthly rate because they were being charged these enormous amounts to like, you know, $800 or $2,000 to build a website. Continue. Yeah, which was, uh, you know, for a lot of salons, it's it's not, it couldn't spend the money on that. No, heck no. So we had built a platform that allowed us to do uh, much simpler websites that were kind of formatted in a way that was like consistently good. We were tracking like which, which ones performed and then we would modify everybody's design a little bit. It was an interesting idea. What it was actually leading towards though the big picture, the long long view for this was that I wanted to actually make all the websites free. Really? Yeah. And then I wanted to build online stores and sell products from the salon's websites. Wow. That was like the big picture, the big vision. But oh. we never, we couldn't get to a level of revenue that allowed us to actually develop. And uh, I didn't want to go the route of fundraising. Well, I, I had partners. I had mm-hmm. two partners, Victor, Victor Valverde and Nico Abril, who are who are awesome. How Nico, did, Nico has, is like Naha winner for like four or five years. Amazing, super talented. Victor people. is also like in his own right crazy, uh, is. awesome in the beauty. So you know who he is, of course. Yeah, he's, what are you joking? Sorry. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I he's think like the, a, he's a friend, so I'm like I'm not sure. I feel like everybody knows him, but absolutely. Um, so how the heck did you team up with them? So when I was doing the scissor sharpening stuff, uh-huh. I like built a legit network of people uh, because again, everybody else was like disappearing, doing shitty work, groaning shears. And I was like, I could look at a pair of shears and be like, X, Y, Z did your shears. It looks like they probably did them two weeks ago. No way. Look at this edge. They shaped this edge up a little too much. I'd be like, whoa, okay, dude, you can take these shears. And then I'd be like, borrow these in the meantime. And that's often how I would sell a shear because uh-huh. they would come back and be like, these are awesome. Like, you want to buy them? Anyways, um, so doing that, I was able to build a pretty quick reputation. And so that parlayed into everything else. And when I just told Nick, uh, Nico Victor what I wanted to work on uh, in front of the cash to get it started, 
And uh, yeah, the idea that I originally rolled out with was actually like a 1-800 for uh, dentists for for, uh, hairdressers. We had this platform that was going to match people. So let me back up because I'll tell what it it was 1-800 dentists for hairdressers. Then it was building websites, and then the websites were going to morph into online stores. So, okay, let's go back to the one hundred dentist because actually yeah. some really interesting things happened there. Um, so that's what Nico and and, and uh, Victor had actually funded to build the technology to match people, and we were matching them on all these different criteria. But it's not just on locations, but styles and you know everything else. For sure. Um, took a took, I. I learned a lot about developing in a silo or developing in an echo chamber mm-hmm. and uh, not listening to the audience and not building with your audience. It's really important that if you're building a product, you're building it while listening at the same time with some caveats. You you don't, for example, you don't want to spend a year building something and then be like, hey, you like this? And everyone's like, I don't know, not really. That would be shitty. Because then you're like, what the fuck did I do for last year? Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was doing in the meantime of building it while the developers were building it, I was going and signing people up so I'm like hot dog sales guy nice. signing up everybody. Nobody's saying that. Everyone's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're putting their credit cards down. I got all these, I'm getting everybody's information so that as soon as we're ready to launch, I can fill out all the profiles with all the content that I've been collecting. I got all the credit cards and I'm like, I'm not going to bill anybody until we get started. There's a chicken and egg problem when you're uh-huh. doing a marketplace, which is you got to have one side of the market before you can get the other. Okay. And so my, my, I, I knew that the hairdressers, as long as I wasn't billing them, would stay consistent. And then I can find a way to get the market built on the other side. Because if you bring in the consumers and there's no hairdressers, they're not, they can't use the side. Not at all. Yeah. So you got to build the hairdresser side first. So I had it up and I was going to operate just in a local environment, whatever. Okay. So here's an interesting story though, is that I'm getting, yes, 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 yes. Everybody's saying yes. Wow. Then I walk into Butterfly Loft. And I'm like, hot shit. Yeah, hot yeah, shit. yeah, yeah, yeah. Check it out. I got a meeting. <laughs> and I sit down with uh, David Thurston and I sit down with uh, Jessica. Okay. Who I believe was the manager, maybe, or his assistant, or the reception. She was one of the three. Awesome, awesome person, too. Um, I go through the whole pitch, nods and yeses, and like, cool, 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 cool. And then he's like, not interested. No way. And I'm like, <laughs> what? what? What do you mean you're not interested? It's just not interesting. It's not right for us. And he was really calm about it, really cool about it, but I wasn't. Yeah, of course. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not leaving until you tell me exactly why you're not doing this so I can get better. Nice. Totally cool to say no. I love that. But you got to tell me why. Wouldn't tell me why. It just wasn't right. He said, it just wasn't right for us. It's just not, it's just not for us. Wow. And I was thinking like, fuck this guy. Oh my God. I was so pissed. I can understand. Because also my confidence was like at an all time high. Yeah. And then it was, just, I just ran into a brick wall with who I perceived as being like the yeah. account yeah. to get. So uh, absolutely devastated, I leave and I go find my uh, favorite Mediterranean place so I can like sulk my wounds yes. and you know, eat my favorite food. Lick your paws and all that shit. Right, yeah. feeling like absolute shit. <laughs> uh, and then he texts me okay. and he said something to the effect of, keep your head up, you're awesome, you know, keep doing And I'm like, what? I'm so confused. That's so crazy. I'm like, how could you be so supportive? Because like, you know, when someone says no, it's usually like, no, and please get the fuck out of here. I'm busy. But he said, no, but keep going. You're awesome. That's awesome. I was so blown away by it. I like that. Yeah. It had a a huge impact on me. Um, So anyways, continuing through with Beauty Fox didn't work out. And uh, man, I took it to the extreme. I sold all my stuff. I lived in my car. I lived in a closet. Back to the days of living in the closet. You like living in the closet. Funny, funny story. Uh, so 
in this time, there was a period of time where I was living at a place called the Orsini downtown. Oh. You know this place? No, not at There's all. There's the Medici and the Orsini. They make it sound all fancy, but it was like roaming gangs inside okay. of this place. It was awful. It was a horrible, horrible place to live, but it was built as if it was like old school Italian. No way. You felt at home. Uh, no, it was awful. <laughs> uh, so I had been living in my car and then uh, an amazing girl named Brianna was like, uh, Brianna, Brianna, sorry. Fuck. Uh, it's fresh. Fresh. Yeah. Uh, but she uh, was so kind to let me stay with her. Yeah. But there were seven other girls staying with her. So it was Tyler and eight women living in a fucking two-bedroom Orsini apartment. Are you serious? And that was like, I was, I was actually made it an illegal situation because normally it would be legal to have eight people living in there. That was like the max you could do, wow. two bedrooms or whatever. Um, but the whole place was just, I'm serious roaming gangs. And the hallways, and it was at the basketball court, and it was this fancy-ass place. I don't know who what was managing it. It's crazy. Um, so, anyways, that hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, because okay. I, I do want to stop you. Um, going back to living in your car, because I've lived in my car before. Mm -hmm. What did you feel? How did you feel inside? It didn't navigate. I didn't put emotions into. You didn't. It. No, it was all optimism. It was Seriously? all for a reason. It was all for a purpose. But at that time, you were in like. Fuck, man. Pure optimism. And how long were you in your car for? Uh, it was. It wasn't like I like only lived in my car. It was like here, it here. Was here sometimes here, you had to here, sleep in there. It was a night or two you had to spend in your car. And sometimes it was just easier to park in front of a salon and be there in the morning than it was to navigate LA traffic and stay with your friend. And then you start to feel bad for being like, hey, I can't pay rent, but can I sit yeah. on the couch again? Um, so I, that was quite a while. It was probably eight, nine months. Yeah, I was doing that for incredible. a long time. Parents didn't know it either. So of course, I don't yeah, know what they I get know that. that. Uh, <clears throat> so, so it was Orsini, was eight chicks. And, uh, was I that thought, fun? That's the thing, right? A guy's like, oh, that's hey, where to like go, heaven. bro? Dude, no. not even close. No. It was we, a we nightmare. Yeah. It was yeah. a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was like just observing pure chaos all the time because these eight girls didn't know each other either. They were all in like. Wait, they were all homies? No, they were all in weird situations where they need. It was almost like a hostel. Where the fuck were people sleeping? Um, like in the room I was in, it was me and four chicks, like several beds. Like I slept in the bathtub one. I, it was just, it was all chaos. Wow. It was chaos. Was, it, was there a lot of fun times? No. No. It was pure chaos all the time. Like I barely ever remember being fully comfortable. Um, but a day came when, uh, well, actually, I think the first night I was there, uh, I had everything in my car. Okay. My dumbass parked under a bridge. Oh, no. This, was, this would be like the second of like, like five times I've been robbed in LA. Okay. And the fifth time the police said, sir, you're what we call a soft target. Yep. You're a dumbass. <laughs> you need to, <laughs> you need to really consider uh, security a little bit more. And I mean, even with pulp, I had my window bashed out, my laptop stolen. It was just not, it's nonstop. For it, it's me. not fun too. It's it not, just it's happens. Just now I'm like, Oh, I got robbed again, guys. Yeah. Um, my whole car got stolen. I got stories for days. Oh, yeah. yeah. Was it the Lexus? Yeah. Ah, I remember stole, that. Broke into the house, stole a bunch of shit. Nice. Stole the car. Nice. Yeah. Took your dog. I remember. But anyways, that was the, I think that was the first or second time. It was, a, it was the worst because I still had all of my possessions that were of value. Yeah. I had my Mac, like my full Mac, yeah. uh, MacBook, um, all my clothes and all my documents. I remember walking down to the car that morning. See my windshield or my uh, side glass busted out from a ways away. And I see like all my clothes on the street. And I'm like, motherfuckers. So how did you feel? Broken. 
So that broke you. Completely broken. I understand that. Um, I was seeing, I was kind of quasi seeing a girl at the time, and uh, but it wasn't really working out because obviously the situation was all messed up. Yeah. And I remember telling her, uh, "Hey, life just got really difficult, and uh, but when I have life by the balls, I'm gonna take you to the best dinner ever." That's sweet. Last year I took her to like the fucking craziest dinner ever. You did? Yeah, it wasn't even a romantic thing anymore. No. But it was a promise that you made that you kept, kept me going. And it was yeah. it was deep. Good job, man. Yeah, good job. And that was I a love fucking that. awesome dinner. Um, yeah. So and it was good. It was just a great connection with a friend at For that sure. point. So so all right. So so you got your car broken into. You're fucked. How did you like lick your paws and get back together? Because did you have insurance that at least gave you money? No, cover? no, no. I took it to the police and they're like, dude, we can't do anything. Fuck, Parks under an overpass. Like, why would you park over an overpass? I'm like, I don't know. Wait, your car insurance didn't take care of it? I don't know if I had car insurance, man. Uh, I had health insurance for like years and years and years. I, it was, I was about as homeless as you could be without being like li- literally living on the street. What are you like, 28? Yeah, I was getting in my mid 20s. Wow. I was actually probably 27, 28, maybe around then. So this was about the time where um, I took two weeks off from LA when I was like busted. And I was like, Dad, I got to come home. I got to just get myself together. Went home, uh, just chilled for two weeks in Memphis where they were living at the time. Okay. My dad's perfect. So he kind of like put me back together. I love so like, that. He's like, we got you. You're, you're totally fine. Like we believe in you. Like this next year, you're going to get it. God, he's fucking perfect. I love my dad so much. So, so then after two weeks of being in Memphis, um, I was ready to come back to LA. And I kind of get the, the, it's a little fuzzy of when it all happened. But around the same time, my friend Dustin was moving to Los Angeles from Omaha, okay. who I had known for, I mean, a very long time. I had a lot of really fun times with him when I lived in Omaha in the early 20s. And uh, he plays in a band. Uh, he, I believe he was a graphic artist for a while. He was a really great guy. Nice. So uh, so he was moving to L.A., but then also my friend Chris Shedd was, goes by Ken, um, who was a great friend growing up, too. And he was, uh, I think he's from Tajikistan. And he's moving to L.A.? And he's moving to L.A. at the same time. <laughs> all, so all three of us were like, let's let's make this. Actually, you know, Dustin moved first, and him and I lived in Hollywood together. Okay. Uh, and that's where a lot of the fun Hollywood stories are from, too. And then uh, Ken decides he's going to move out, too, to live with us. And so then it's like all of the the guys from Omaha were like, you hey, your house. So get a house in Koreatown. Yeah. And then... Around that time, um, I started throwing art shows okay. for a company called Raw Artists because my friend Kyla had gotten me the job. Because after Beauty Fox had kind of imploded and I was like, this isn't, this isn't going to work out, um, I, Kyla, and, who's a big part of my life, a uh, really awesome girl, she's in a band, was in a band at the time, um, now throws these huge trades. She's just sweet. She does a lot of different things. I believe, like, probably she's an influencer is the best way to call it now. Okay. But Kyla. Uh, and then... And another friend named uh, Kiki or Kristen, they were all in this band called Nylon Pink, and Not so I became really it. good friends with them. Yeah, and they were like sisters to me, and so uh, and we've very much have navigated the last ten years together in different ways. I even went on tour with them. I have awesome, wait seriously, yeah. Where I was like the band merch guy, the the I guess the guy who got payment from the bars that okay. we played at. Uh, I drove the van. It was a crazy couple. How long? I think we did it for a week and a half, two weeks yeah. through Ohio. We, we did this weird little loop-de-loop through Ohio. That must have been exciting. Yeah. There was a great tornado uh, <laughs> chase story. We had an awesome guy who uh, named Mickey that was the tour manager. That, that's, who, uh, was still, that's so fucking cool. But I, I'm going to bring this back because mm. when you're kind of at your, like your lowest, your yeah. car gets broken into everything, all of a sudden something happens. You have two friends 
moving into town. Crazy, huh? That what happens? It picks you up. Yeah, that was like that was a that that was part of the turning. Yeah. Uh, because then Dustin and I started working together at Raw Artists, and now suddenly I had community again. Yes. I wasn't all alone. Uh-huh. And so then Dustin and I worked side by side every day, uh, throwing these huge art shows. We eventually were managing multiple uh, locations, and he, he was much better than I was because he was way more organized. But as a team, we were great because yeah. I loved doing the phone calls with uh-huh. the artists. Um, from an organization standpoint, but again, it kind of reminded me of my detasseling days of corn because detasseling days because we'd have to set up all these these fences okay. for the art to hang on. Uh-huh. But we were like him and I were like moving these fences through these venues. We would throw them downtown at a place. Uh, what's the place? The Aztec looking place. Fuck if I know. Yeah, it's some crazy looking place downtown. Um, we called the Aztec actually. There was a place in Orange County too. Anyways, yeah, yeah. We'd have to drag these massive fences from this truck up these flights of stairs, set it up, and artists put their stuff on it. We throw the show. Then we have to drag him. It'd be like four in the morning, and I'd be like dragging a fence like through an alley, loading up a truck. We'll see your corn husking days and detaching or whatever the fuck it's called. Detasseling, you know, kind of played a role. Yeah. Uh, Just kind of fucking pushing it, grinding, doing what you have to do. And so you've kind of had a lot of these moments throughout your life. And, um, you know, something that happens to a lot of people that are. Uh, successful is that they don't stay in one place for a long time. Mm. They kind of, you know, go from here to here to here and getting all of these experiences. But what's happening is it's going up and up and sometimes down, but still up and up from that macro level. Um, So you're doing this artist experience where you kind of detach from the hair industry at that point. How was that? I feel like it's so all mixed together. I've always been the person that's been doing multiple things. So I was still actually doing scissor sharpening, I believe. Wow. And I think I had gone back to that after the Beauty Fox thing had fallen through because I built up such an account base. People were like, can you please come get these? Like I have nobody to go to. So I was still picking up business on a regular basis for that. Um, but, but raw had raw artists had really taken over and being the main source of income in my time. Um, but definitely still involved in beauty. Like I, I think I was, I feel like I was at trade shows. It's all very fuzzy. So were you, when Beauty Fox kind of, you know, went under, under, were you ashamed, upset? How did you feel? Yeah, you know, I made a big mistake with that company. I tied my identity to it in a major way. So of course, that's failed, what I knew you for. Yeah, when it failed, I failed. Yeah. And that was harsh. Of course. That was very destructive to like ego. Um, and ego protects you from a lot of feelings yes, and a lot is. of... Um, it was damaging for sure. And I had to build myself back up. Um, and it took a while. It definitely took a while to do that. And, you know, Raw was a great experience because uh, Heidi Laura, Laura, I probably pronounced her name wrong, is the is the founder. And she's like the most awesome woman too. She's so powerful, like such a, such a great uh, person. And she's built a crazy thing with Raw artists. So fucking cool. working under someone who is strong like that you do start to rebuild your confidence. Yes, you do. Because she built a system and I knew how to execute in the system. So it became that thing again where I was like, okay, nailed it, nailed it, nailed it, nailed it, nailed it. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm really good at things actually. This yeah. is cool. I'm Are you actually, good with systems? Um, I don't prefer to follow somebody else's systems. I want to build my own, but then I don't want to manage it. I get that. Yeah. I know, I know exactly what you're But at the time, yeah. it was good for me to have a pattern and consistency. To kind of build you wins. back up, yeah. for sure. It's like yeah. small win, small win, small win. And that, that, that just feels good for your spirit, your ego, all yeah. of that. Um, so you're doing raw artists. Was the next step ergo? It was. 
All right, so uh, like kind of bring because our artist was a, a ton of work, but it didn't really have a future to it. Yeah, um, because it was basically you could be a director, be a director, and it, I, I didn't see the future for me necessarily. Yeah. Um, I felt like it was a limited path, and then there was a day that I reached out to Robert and. God, I don't remember how it all started. I mean, it was still, he still knew me through selling the irons in the past and selling some of the brushes and stuff. So one way or another, I actually started working for Robert and it eventually became full-time. Okay. Um, and again, now I'm working under someone who's even more like powerful and yes. he's so much, you know, has so much experience, been in the industry for so long, so many systems, so such many. an understanding of how things work, such an understanding of how people work and a way of communicating. And I was just soaking it all up. He's so good at that, you yeah. know, um, you know, really networking and, and just people in general. And he has this philosophy or this kind of saying, not philosophy, it's a PPP, PPP, yeah, yeah, yeah. prior planning prevents piss poor performance. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that's kind of like everything that he does in his life is that he's got these systems. He's great with people. Um, he'll share anything with you as far as his knowledge. And I do remember you coming on. I was, uh, I was excited. You know, I've known you for a while, but then once you came on, it really allowed us to connect. And that's yeah, kind of where our friendship goes. I'm kind of forgetting the, the path of everything, but I knew Cantrell at the same time. Yeah. I knew Wes and they were uh -huh. doing hair house together. I met Carlos, knew Carlos. Uh, so there was, yeah, there's a path in there somewhere. It all kind of blends for sure. together. It's, it kind of just yeah. comes. And then, so you, you hop on Ergo. Mm -hmm. um, you've had, you know, kind of these ups, these downs. Beauty Fox fell down. But that's all right, because then you went to Raw Artists. And then that kind of led you back to Ergo. Like, not back, it led you back to the hair industry. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so you're at Ergo. You know, what the fuck was that like for you? It was cool, because I was, I was meeting a lot of people. Because I felt that what I had done before was a very local thing. It was very Los Angeles local. So I knew the hair industry as it was in Los Angeles. Angeles, but I didn't know the greater hair industry. I didn't yeah. go on the tour circuit for the for the trade shows and stuff like that. So working with Robert, I, I got a much bigger impression of what was going on. And also everybody knew Robert too. Yeah. So that was great to kind of be introduced to a lot of people at these different shows and um, interacting with salon owners that were like, like Aveda salon owners who are like some of the best in the country. So having all those, again, a broader network and a broader set of relationships being built from that. Um, was really powerful. But the best thing was actually working for Robert because he's yeah. so smart, so organized. And there were so many skills that I, I don't take them for granted in any way whatsoever. But like, I, I know where they come from. For sure. They, they definitely come from Robert. Like I picked them all up. A hundred percent. You know, I, I, I kind of owe two people in my life. Uh, I wouldn't be the person that I am today, Robert and Alyssa. Yeah. Um, and they're very structured and organized when I am definitely not. But, you know, as you get older and as you've kind of been in that system for a long time, you start to pick up those things. Um, and just a lot of the things that, that I do, if I look back, I'm like, wait a minute, I learned that from Robert. I learned yeah. that from Robert. I yeah. learned that from Robert. I think it's important to remember, too, so you can continue yeah. to be grateful to those people. Absolutely. And give back, like, without measurement either, without, like, keeping score. Oh, for sure. I for sure. It's important. You know, being a mentor of someone, you know, the greatest thing, it's kind of like a parent seeing that individual blossom. And for Robert, you know, especially for you, man, you took that step. You left Ergo and it you was ended tough. Up yeah. The, um, the road diverged. We tried to, we in many ways tried to make it work uh -huh. and uh, there was difference of opinion. And, you know, it wasn't too different from before when I was, I wanted more. Of course. And I was willing to do more. And uh, we saw different, you know, it, it was, there's multiple people making decisions. And so it was seen differently. And 
it, what was also, and now this gets into the pulp stuff, which are the, the pulp story and how it began was that, um, I, we went to the class, right? The class. Yes. At Butterfly Loft. Uh-huh. And you taught a class and, uh, I talked to David again. Yeah. And uh, so David obviously remembered my intensity. Yes, he does. <laughs> and my d- maybe desire for success and willingness to work. So funny, right? Uh, he said something to me, um, either then, it wasn't then, it was at some later point. He said, throughout you know, your working career, you'll meet people and you'll, these people will stand out and you'll say, okay, at some point, even not, if it's not now, there'll be a, a point in which I want to work with this person. Yeah. So you kind of just put a, put a pin in it and remember these people. And so he said, that's how he remembered me as somebody who at some point in the future, there would likely be an opportunity where we could work together. That's so funny, man, yeah. because you were so torn at that one uh, point when he said no to you. Oh my God. That was so in mad. retrospect though, it's kind of funny. I don't think I'd even talked to him again since that was probably the one time. And then I talked to him. You're like, like fuck that. that. Yeah. But then look what happens. So, so, uh, okay. I'll tell this story. Tell it. Okay. So then, uh, David mentions roughly what he's working on. Yeah. Color line. I, I get the idea that him and Alexis have been developing a color line. And so um, I knew that he had been doing Butterfly Circus. So everyone in their industry did, right? Yeah. So kind of analyzing that, I'm like, okay, great base. This is, this is going to be a rocket ship. And so I was like, I, I have to find a way to make this relationship work. I want to be a part of this, but there was no explicit offer or anything like that. Uh, but David had been listening or reading to some author at the time. And uh, I didn't know who it was. He mentioned it during the conversation. So after the conversation, I go Google this person, figure out who they are. Yeah. I was real big into freelancers at the time. Okay. So I hired a freelancer and <laughs> I said, hey, okay, I'll give you like, whatever your hourly rate is. Research this author. Find me something of interest. Shut the fuck up. I'm serious. I had no idea about this. I don't think anybody C- does. C- continue. This is great. This, uh, this girl, somehow she's like an internet researcher from the Philippines, finds this like 256 slide deck that this guy had put online under a different name. And it was like his, his secret deck of information that he used to do pitches Shut and stuff like it was like legit i was like how did you find this this Are is you, insane what did you feel you're like oh my i was like yes. yeah and so i messaged david really casually and said something to the effect of hey i did some research on this guy Check this <laughs> and uh he was i think he was impressed of because course. there was follow-up and then obviously i'd gone the extra mile and i found something really interesting that like how did the hell did you find this and you remembered the author it was just yeah, I get that. Clearly showed interest, initiative, and everything else. Also, I was like on it, like sense of urgency was over the top too, because I was like, there's something there's real, happening yeah. here. Um, and then we had a few more meetings and conversations, and clearly we're, we were connecting on on working together. Yeah. So then there was an offer, and I went back to Ergo because I had like this extreme streak of loyalty because Robert had done so much. Yeah. And I mean, this is even hard to talk about, but I remember saying, you know, like, this is the offer that I have to go join Pulp. I want this to work out between us. This is like, you know, yeah. let me let me stay. Like, how do we do this? And we just, I remember when we got heated. Yeah. And uh, I walked away and uh, I joined Pulp. And that was a crazy rocket ship. Was, for before you did that, you know, getting into that um, and leaving, when you left, um, were you like angry? Were you hurt? Like what was going pissed. on? Pissed. Super you're, pissed. You were pissed. Yeah. Isn't that crazy though? It's like at that moment you were, you were upset, but now you and Robert met today and for sure, none of that. Because him and I are one in the same as far as I think 
mentally and, and yes. logically and emotionally. Like a hundred percent. There's no room for anger. No, no. You and Robert are very similar in a lot, in a lot of ways. It's yeah. it's kind of funny. It's you know, and I, I there's t- there's also there's no room for for anger and resentment. Nope. And re- you know, the, nope. all that stuff. Is nope. Very, get the emotions out of it, and both of only, but also, and not even that you need to get all the emotions out, but it's because those emotions. It's like. Uh, it's a great saying. It's like when you seek vengeance, dig a grave for two. Yeah. Because there's nothing good that's going to come from being angry at someone for a long period of time. I actually learned that when I, I was younger. That. Yeah. I love that. I love that because that's something I've followed for a long time. I can easily forgive. I'll get very upset. Yeah. Like I will get super fucking pissed at you. And then the very next day I'm fine, right? I'm like that now. Yeah. Were you like that when you were young? Um, I feel... No, I wasn't because I remember one time uh, there was this incident between my girlfriend and this girl and her boyfriend got into it and and I was fucking pissed and I held on to that for like a year. Oh my God, yeah, dude. A year and I beat the shit out of him and I remember years later I apologized because I felt bad mm-hmm. and I think at that point um, I was like, dude, what Like, wh- what the fuck, right? What I was the point? pursued a guy for over a year too yeah. and eventually had a, a fight with him. Yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> that's funny. Vengeance was like in the blood, yeah, because there was a purpose, yeah, and it gave me like a drive, exactly, and like a, an energy that mm-hmm. I like was addicted to, like this feeling of like purpose, absolutely. Um, you can get that other places, of course, of so, course. And the negativity it eats, oh, there's man. just no reason, right? Unless like someone does something super fucking terrible, like some of your family or something, doesn't like that, matter, right? man. You gotta um, let it all go. I, well, you know, for me, I have limitations, right? If you like murdered my sister or something like that. But then, then, but, but then eventually probably, right? Because I do see people that these things happen then eventually you have to let go, right? But anger you, is poison. It, it is. It but is. but mostly everything for me, honestly speaking, is like I can get over it. Yeah, same. Same. So so of course I was going to get over it, yeah. but I was resentful and angry for a minute, uh for sure. But you know, and and I think that in the end, Robert is probably grateful and happy, as am I, that things turned out the way that they did. Yeah, he's proud of you. I'm sure he is. No, yeah, um, we talked about it. Yeah, he's proud of you for sure, absolutely. So you left, mm-hmm. and then what was next? And so, uh, so I think we were. I actually I worked for both companies for a period of time because I wanted to do the transition properly. Yeah. So I I worked for Robert and uh, worked with David for a while at the same time. It just became clear pretty quickly that pulp was going to be all consuming. Yeah. I was so happy um, that I, I knew there was going to be, it was going to be crazy. I just, I just felt that energy was building. At that point, did you feel like, okay, I'm on something here? Like, I, 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 it feels right. I feel good. Like, what there was, was almost that? not enough time to even <laughs> doubt what was about to happen. Yeah. And, uh, and also, like, I can't say enough good things about David. Oh, fuck yeah. So brilliant. Yeah, I, I I don't I I'm very careful with words as far as when describing someone's um, capabilities or intelligence or something like that. Guy just has like a wild instinct that yeah. is so far beyond uh, my understanding. As far like in for and then I, I kind of think I get where it comes from. You know, owning a salon like Butterfly Loft, um, having Alexis as a wife who yeah. is behind the chair and is like an incredibly perceptive stylist uh, and super talented. Those that instinct and that understanding of an industry cannot be replaced. And so it's often that I I run into people who are real young, who want to be entrepreneurs. They want, I always tell them like, do whatever you're going to do, do it with all your, you know, like strength and go in at full speed. But let me just give you a a piece of advice. Try to find somebody who's in an industry 
has been in that industry for 10 plus years, has had an interesting level of success and is about to do something big and then latch on like crazy. That is the best, I think, identifier for a potential success. They have the network, they have the instinct, and they likely have the resources. So that, I think, is a great, great description for, is, how, yeah. for Pulps setting them up. Because also you had Butterfly Loft, which was a, a, a precursor to it. And there was already success with that. And so there was um, a network of influencers uh, and educators, I think is a much better word for that, um, who were already on board too. So awareness is often the hardest thing for when sure. it comes to launching a product. And so when you have some of the biggest educators in the industry who are the fastest up and coming ones, clearly the awareness is going to happen. Was that there, was that the, um, what set Pulp Riot apart from everyone else? Because Pulp people, Riot. People. That's it. No, I mean, well, okay, so let me, people, but then that leads to so many other things. When you have someone like Alexis, who was a person, yes. developing a product, okay, it's a person thing, but it's also now you got a product development thing. Yeah. So Alexis develops like the next level of hair color as it related to the direct eyes. Um, I couldn't appreciate that at the time. I couldn't appreciate it for so many reasons. They did that development before I joined them. So I didn't see that year of development. Um, and then I also didn't have an appreciation for how good it was because I'm not a hairdresser. Yeah. Uh, so I, on faith, basically was believing that this is a great product because they were successful and talented in their own right. And I could see that clearly. So I was like, okay, they probably made a great product too. Um, interesting. And I'll tie that just a little bit to the, to the future story of Jupiter, which is in my own experience of building a product over the last eight or nine months, got a deep appreciation for Alexis ability to build so many products in the last three years. And all of them are amazing. They are. And I, I've developed one product that is amazing, but yes. oh my gosh, was it freaking, it's like every single person you talk to says, no, that can't be done. 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 And you have to just kind of bulldoze over every single one of them and eventually get to someone who says, yeah, it's going to be hard, but I have an idea for how it may work. And you're like, okay, let's that's start. Funny. That's, yeah. that's so funny because at the time, it's like, once again, it's like when we're going through things, we can't appreciate it. Oh, we, we always can't appreciate it. Um, but now looking back, the appreciation level for Alexis and what she was able to accomplish and things that she was able to do and the products, because now you're going through it, Yeah. right? It's just um, these things kind of keep on tying together for you. So you're at Pulp Riot, you're on this fucking rocket ship, it's taking off. At what point, you know, because you were there for like three years, two and a half years? Uh, no, one and a half. One and a half. Dude, it was crazy. It was so fast. So from the time you started to the time that you left, a year and a half, what the fuck happened? Because we launched like 30 countries. Uh, it was over 10, 11 million dollars in the first year in sales, trending rapidly towards 30 in the second. Um, it was it was just it couldn't have been done better. I mean, sure, we made a lot of mistakes. Actually, that's one of the secrets is that we were moving so damn fast and we were making those mistakes, but we were moving too fast for mistakes to have any damage. Wow. Um, that was a powerful lesson. You know, companies are much like people and they have superpowers in a sense. And Pulp had the most amazing people. That was, that was what made Pulp and that is what Pulp is. Even today, it's the people, yeah. it's the community, it's the artists. The products are amazing. They have to be. But there's but when you make an amazing product, you you get to exist 
as a company. If you make a subpar product, you're basically going to be struggling to exist and your whole life is focused on getting people to buy the product. Yes. But when you spend the time to make something truly amazing, it falls a little bit, in my opinion, to the background and the people then take the forefront and it becomes, you know, what is the community? What is the culture of this product and these people? Um, and the product just absolutely performs. You know, the people don't spend all day building a relationship with the product. They spend with, more the, people. with the people. With the and, people. Yeah. I'm going to take that uh, advice and put that towards my podcast because, you know, as I'm growing and, and, t- and taking this off, um, it does, it comes down to the people, mm-hmm. right? And the people that I bring on here, uh, the community that I build. Um, and it's just so fascinating in a year and a half's time. You started, you guys sold, and now what happened? Like, because, uh, you know, you, you guys, you guys sold, like what, what happened? Were you lost? Were you confused? Were you fucking stoked? It was, uh, it was exciting. Um, in the timing at the time, I, I didn't want to sell. I, I, um, I don't think anybody wanted to. I think it was the right decision though. Yeah. And I think it was that pulp was moving so fast and growing so quickly that you, we were going to hit a point in which we were going to be um, unable, we, would, we wouldn't have had the necessary resources or relationships or connections to sustain what we were about to do, which was to release a permanent color line. So I think at the time I was being optimistic as I always am and aggressive because I was like, oh, we're winning. I, I've missed this feeling. <laughs> like, let's do yeah. this. But David, having a better sense than I did of the big picture, understood that the resources that L'Oreal would bring to the table would allow us to actually continue to exist in a way that was actually going to support the community and the industry. For sure. So it was technically the right decision that I didn't appreciate until probably after the fact. That's so funny. I, I always like how you, um, maybe in, in the moment you don't see it, but you always tend to see it afterwards. Now that's fantastic because there's a lot of people that don't see it in the moment and then they don't see it afterwards. So at least if you can see what is exactly happening, look back, um, kind of humble yourself. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, yeah. I was given the, the time to do that while in Cambridge, which was, you know, an interesting decision to, so, so when Pulp sold, um, and it was clear, I think to me and probably to the the rest of the team that it wasn't an environment that was right for me. Um, it was a very, you know, becomes more political. You got more people, you have more responsibilities. There's more channels of communication. There's really deep levels of planning and, I mean, I just love chaos and excitement and I want, I want, you know, I want my, I want to be doing something. I want my hands to be on something and building something and have this excitement. And it was such a harsh transition from, you know, Pulp to L'Oreal for me because the reality changed so much. Um, I got to say, like, I freaking love the people so much. It was so hard to leave. Yeah. Um, but it was, I think the right thing to do, um, Maybe I should have stayed a little bit longer. I could have picked up a lot of lessons and interesting things from L'Oreal, I think. Um, so I, I probably split just a little bit too early. But hey, that's my thing, right? But that is your, that is your thing. That <laughs> is totally about, yeah. No, no, no. No, 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 but you know, at this point now, you know, you've spent like a decade in Los Angeles. You've mm-hmm. had so many ups and downs and, um, you know, kind of little wins and then failures. And, you know, with Beauty Fox closing down, that had to be fucked up. Then everything getting stolen. Your friends coming out, picking you back up. You go into Raw Artist, then Ergo, which was kind 
kind of like, okay, this is looking back. This is like that is the the moment in your life where things finally started to turning. The stability that I exactly. could actually stand like on solid ground and and start to actually get my reorientated yeah. to see an opportunity and be positioned for an opportunity like Pulp Riot. And then Pulp Riot did change your life. A hundred percent changed your life. It, yeah. it now after you sold because. Mm-hmm. You did nice off of that. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the step? Okay, I'm going to move to fucking Boston. So when selling, uh, you, you you know, you're basically, you're giving up your ownership in the company. And in exchange for that, there's a payment. And then there's also an expectation that you won't compete yeah. um, and you won't go, you know, join another company that's competing or do anything like that. So you sign a contract that basically says, you know, have a nice year and a half or whatever. Yeah. Go do something. Take a nice break, but here's a nice check. Sure. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. So um, I, I do want to stop you, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. When you got your payout, right? Yeah. I, just, just hold on. Yeah. Um, there are moments in life where we can look back. Did you feel accomplished? Were you happy? Were you like, okay, I fucking did it, but now I got to get to the next step. That shit lasted. That feeling lasted. It's like your Jeep. Yeah, right. It lasts for about... 10 minutes. Okay. Were your parents happy? Super stoked. Everyone around you. I remember when you told me and you shared information with yeah. me. I remember being so happy and so proud of you, man, because I saw all your work. I saw your effort. And to see one of my boys fucking, you know, kind of say what he's going to do and fucking do it. Mm-hmm. I love that shit, dude. Yeah. I love that. So I want to tell you on here, man, I'm really proud of the work that you have done and um, to the level that you're at. And I know bigger things are going to come. Right. Because this is my future focus mentality. Yes. It's so hard for me to stay in a moment and be uh, content or be pleased or be happy. I don't know what, the, what word to use, but it's hard for me to sit in that moment for very long. Do you think that's, um, I mean... I don't know, for me, right? Like getting wins and feeling good, it's, it helps build you up. And I understand that, you know, you're kind of like the next, the next, the next, the next, but like sometimes living in the moment is, um, it's not a bad thing. I get it. It's good advice and it works for most people. It just might not be for me. (laughs) I mean, you know, I, I have respect ever since I was 16 or 17, whenever there's a book called The Singularity is Near, it's a guy who'd written the book, had wrote another book called The Age of Spiritual Machines, um, Ray Kurzweil. And when I read those books, it changed me as a person uh, more than anything else probably ever has. Wow. And ever since then, it's always been about the future. And uh, there's there's a lot to uncover there that probably we can't go into. But I think that the basis of who I am as a person is a solid base of optimism that is indestructible. And then on top of that is a, you know, a layer of stoicism yeah. that allows the optimism to exist in, a, in its un, unchangeable form. And then there's transhumanism on top of that. And that's the one I never talk about because it just gets too weird. And most people don't have an appreciation maybe for the speed at what technology is moving, yeah. where it's going and what the repercussions or what the... Uh, I guess, advantages could potentially be for humanity. So not to go too deep into that, but part of that interest means acquiring a level of wealth yes. um, that allows me to be part of that process. And and again, that it just gets into such but a... But do you think we're at this point where it's like, tech, you know, we are in this huge technological shift, right? Uh, technology is moving faster than we can even blink our fucking eyes, right? right. Um, 
are we a little too soon? Like meaning you and I, because like the next generation, right? A hundred years from now, uh, we're going to have human cyborgs for sure. I mean, yeah, Th- there's, or like uh, not human. Yeah. Cyborgs. Yeah. There's, it's, it's hard to say because who knows how steep that sure. curve is and how quickly the future could arrive in a yeah. sense where the singularity is the specific point at which the, you know, the AI or the artificial intelligence um, is thinking faster than humans and able to take action. And then there's like this singularity. But which, it's like, the, it's what, it, what I like to call is the next phase of evolution for human beings, right? Um, it is that next step. So it, maybe it's not human beings anymore. It's like AI. But if you do believe in evolution, you know, you, we, we started out at this one point, we became this other thing, then we grow, 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 grow. Mm-hmm. So if evolution is a real thing, that means it does not stop. So is the singularity the next phase of evolution? Right. That would be a logical assumption. We exactly. We take over the process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and then the Neuralink, uh, the thing that Elon Musk is working on, and there's not a lot of information on it yet. He yeah. did one really interesting presentation on it and suggests that we'll be able to actually link up with machine level intelligence. And so we basically amplify ourselves. So AI can't necessarily run away from us because we're able to keep pace Exactly. But maintain our biological form. Um, it, it's interesting to talk about this stuff because it's funny because I think some people think of me as like a business guy. Yes. And then some people think of me maybe a little bro-ish. <laughs> you know, I, I wear activewear most days. I love working uh, out and I drive a Jeep now. You drive a Jeep, a badass uh, Jeep, but it's so, definitely a bro Jeep. So, I, so, <laughs> so and, but then like most of my deep love is for psychology, philosophy, and technology. 100%. In the future. So it's... I don't find myself talking like this very often yeah. or talking about these things because I think that the identity that most people have for me, this fits in a little bit sideways. For sure. But also it, like the druggie too, you know, that you had for many, many years. What do you mean? Uh, people would think that you're a stoner. Right, this, right, right. That perception that people would have of me. This um, is a little bit better though. Just saying. Yeah. I, and that's the thing I, I have become, and this, we talked about this before, which is I like to be aware of the filters that I'm being caught up in as I'm communicating with someone or I'm presenting myself because at the end of the day, I want to be an effective person Mm -hmm. so that I can accomplish my goals, which tying this all together have to do with human potential. It does. And uh, transhumanism in a sense is the ultimate human potential with some clear caveats. Like I could argue against my belief as much as I can argue for it which I think is a healthy place it's to exist so when you have an opinion. You can change my mind day to day. Like, <laughs> right. like, like straight, straight up, I could believe this. And then if you paint a good argument and I look into it, I'm like, okay, I understand. I was wrong. Okay, there you go. Yeah. And, then and I think it's important that you should be able to paint that argument in the other direction. Because yes. if not, you're not introducing yourself to the full breadth of the conversation. Yeah. Well, you always make me do that. <laughs> yeah. You always come at me. It's, like, it's you know, it's like, consider the alternative is a great is a great idea especially when you believe because the more you believe in something and the more sure you are the more you don't understand the other side of what you're actually trying to yeah for sure that you should understand if you're going to try to be so 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 real quick because i don't know a lot about transhumanism and then we're going to get back right is transhumanism like you know cyborgs or what the fuck is it transhumanism is transcending humanity is the underlying idea we it's also sometimes called post-humanism okay um these there's actual art movements and stuff that get kind of wrapped up in these mm-hmm. terminologies too because it can be consum- uh, confusing there's extropianism which is my instagram name yes, um is. which is basically the opposite of uh, entropy you call it extropy okay extropianism so it's a belief system based on 
the continual improvement of the human condition. So that's Elon Musk for sure. Um, I think so. Although he has a slightly negative uh, viewpoint on the potential of AI. And in extropianism, you would believe more positively about the outcomes. I mean, we've all seen Terminator, so I think sure. uh, it's, an easy, it's a real, real For thought. sure. This is this understanding the other side of it. Yeah. And it's what side of it do you fall on? Um, I'm split in the middle. It's, it's, it's a really important thing to keep your eye on and yeah. to be part of if you can, uh, because it's going to have such huge impacts in our lives, in our lives, in our lives, yeah. you, you know, robotics, AI, um, is going to play a vital role yeah. in our lives. But it's, 100%. it's again, very hard to talk about these things with most people because most people are like, motherfucker, we're building a hair color company. Shut up about the, the robots in the future. For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, that part of you, um, now you're at this point where, cause we're going to bring this back. It's like, you are deciding to leave California to go to Boston. Yeah. All right. So we're going to bring yeah. it back and then we'll kind of come back. Right. So this Why? is where we talk about Simon. Simon. Uh, Simon is superhuman. <laughs> yes, he is. Simon is un, undescribable in words. Uh, I, I, I don't mean to be so over, or, you know, verbose about him, <laughs> but like when you get to know someone on the level that I've gotten to know this guy, uh, and you see only good things, the deeper you go, you're like, what are you? How is this possible? Are you an alien? What are you made out of? <laughs> Possibly could be. It could be. could be. Very much could be. He's either an alien or he's from the future. I have these fun jokes where there's certain people <laughs> in my life that have been very important. Yeah. And so uh, often I'll talk to them in a sense like, you're a robot from the future that I'm going to build in 20 years yeah. and send back to be my friend. You're such an idiot. I know. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, so, so Simon fits squarely into that camp. Um, so I met him at, uh, at, again, the Founder Institute was a huge thing. Damn, uh, that's like, where you met him? No, oh. uh, but when I talk about like being grateful for certain things, uh, Dale Risi is the guy who started the Founder Institute. He started it because he had a bad experience as a startup company. He built like a billion dollar company, but had, a lot of it was taken away because he had you know not understood the games that are played when you're building a company and your investors do this and your lawyers do this and da, 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 da. at the end of the day, you're sold a billion dollar company and you got what? You got like a huge lawyer bill and you almost lost money. Fuck. So he built something called the Founder Institute that basically taught what you wouldn't learn anywhere else. You'd only learn the hard way. Um, going back to that story with Beauty Fox, I actually, uh, through pure perseverance graduated at the top of the class Good and then job. got invited into a thing called metal which is an awesome group of guys that meet out in santa monica as a badass name for a group of people it's a networking group for uh men they introduced women obviously uh, in the last couple of years how dare they i know i'm right? just joking. it was it wasn't going to continue <laughs> yeah. it, wasn't thing, it was for a long time <laughs> just fucking around um but that was great um to go through that process and to meet all these people um where were we going with this? So I would. So we were talking about Simon and mm, how yeah, you met so, him. Okay, so so Dave uh I stopped going to networking events because they had become so like massively lame in Los Angeles. <laughs> but I'm such like a like action cause reactions. Just go do shit. You never yes. know what's going to happen. But I had to turn on a filter because I found myself wasting a ton of time at these events. So I started thinking um, I will go to the event based on who's speaking. So Adeo was going to speak okay. and I'm like, I'm there because this guy's going to attract, you know, a, 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 an orbit of people who are really awesome. And so, um, it, you know, and, and you're in a room full of really amazing people, right? And I don't have the floor to speak. And so one of the hacks that I have is that I key into whoever's speaking and I listen intently okay. as best as I can. And I'm, you know, looking things up as they're talking, da, 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 da. And they get to the point where they say, anybody had any questions? And I got a fucking great question. Cause like, I'm That's like, awesome. I'm like researching da, 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 da. So I drop like the best question I could possibly think of. I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> and so then 
again and again, and I, maybe I dropped three or four of these like home run questions, and like I don't fucking care what the answer is. Of course, I'm just trying to get awareness built inside this room. That is so smart to anyone listening. That is a great way to get the speaker's attention. So right. shout out to you, man. Thank you. All right, so you have um, <clears throat> you you met him, you know, asking very specific questions. Mm-hmm. It attracted him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kept this friendship with him for years. Right, right. You, after Pulp Riot hits, how the heck did you? Uh, like, so it, it just blows my mind. Just like David said, you know, there's going to be people that you meet throughout your life and your business career that you're going to want to work with them. Yeah, Simon like nailed it from day one. I'm like, I, I got to work with this guy on something, and. Um, it was just we saw the we saw the future so clearly, and this is probably really important for anybody who does any partnerships. You don't have to agree on anything except the future. If you agree on the future, the navigation of the present will happen naturally because you both want the same goal. You want the same outcome. You'll disagree on how to get there, but you both still want to get there. You'll figure it out as long as you're reasonable as people. Yeah. It's when two people want a different future that the paths will diverge and there will not be clear communication, and then that's when things break down. Because of that, Simon and I have probably what I would consider the best working relationship I've ever had with anybody. We can like disagree on everything. <clears throat> and, and again, this goes back to him being such an amazing person. He's so like able to receive information, even when I phrase it kind of aggressively. And he's like, no, no, it's good. Like Exactly however you want to say it, say it that way. And then he'll, he'll you know, take it in and he'll communicate in a way back that is measured and you know, intelligent and yeah. it's just a low level of emotions. You guys believe in each other too, oh my which gosh. is fucking awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really cool. And you, you guys both have a different dynamic, mm-hmm. but it's a kind of like that yin and yang that, that works. Yeah. We have slightly different skill sets. Uh, we have overlapping skill sets, um, but it's clear who's better at a lot of them. And so we, we typically gravitate towards, um, and, you know, he pushes me too because he works so hard. Yeah. And that's a that's kind of a secret to success too, is that you, you can actually be kind of an idiot as long as you work really hard, yeah. you'll probably end up better than most. For sure. Um, but when you're crazy intelligent and you work really hard, it's just, it's kind of scary. It's insane. <laughs> You've been here now, you know, for like a week and um, you waking up at like four o'clock in the morning just to be ready for him at you know five because that's eight o'clock in the morning there yeah. that's huge because i remember i was asking i was like dude there is like for me like I, I mean i get it but just my thought process of like waking up at five o'clock in the morning which means you actually got to wake up earlier to be ready it's impressive you gotta go to the gym first yeah you do but, yeah. but still you take care of your shit and that's <laughs> that's awesome yeah so I, it's yeah it's it's having a good partner like that is really important if you're going to go down any path and again david was very much the same yeah. way um David's work ethic, again, was not as visible to me because we were not like, like Simon and I communicate on a minute by minute basis. Mm -hmm. Uh, David and I were not necessarily like that. Although we worked very closely in the beginning, it became quickly, we had, you know, more and more people and there was 30 people at some point. And so it was like, there was a separation, but I have a feeling that David's work ethic um, is off the charts, but it's complemented by like, pure instinct that can't be matched that's an, that's the because he said many times we had disagreements about how to do things and clearly he was he would make the decision i'd be like i yeah. supported 100 percent. like even if i was like i don't know about this 100 percent support let's do it we'll make it happen and then my optimism would take over and i'm like even if he's fucking wrong i'll make it right fuck yeah but he was always right yeah every single time i was always like okay take a note bro you were you were totally wrong <laughs> on that you were completely wrong um but yeah, so that was that was also awesome to see is that the longer you do something and the more you pay attention, the more introspective you are, you, 
he's also probably wired in a certain way that most yeah. people aren't, but it just lets you make really good decisions very fast. Yeah, and him and his wife got that like power shit going mm-hmm. on. So it's uh, it's beautiful to see. So, yeah. all right, so you're, you're meeting with Simon, you're talking with him, but he's in Boston, right? Right. So what was in your mind? Like, I'm going to fucking move out there? So I had the con- I had to leave uh, beauty in general. So I decided to leave Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> it, Peace. Yeah, it'd been a while. So I, you know... Uh, I think I was out of a lease and everything else and uh, everything lined up. And Simon and I had talked a lot about working together and that would be much easier to do in the same place. Wasn't excited necessarily to go to Boston, um, Cambridge specifically, but uh, I'll do anything. It was a necessity. If I think the future is there. So I I go there. And what I learned about Boston, uh, most people have a totally bad misconception. I don't know where this whole like accent stuff comes from. (laughs) I've never met anybody with an accent up in Boston. It was crazy. Um, Everybody I met were incredibly technically deep specialists. Okay. So um, whether they were working in finance or technology or medical, I mean, it has more colleges than any other city. Seriously? Uh, yeah. It's it's like per capita, there's more colleges there than any place in the world, I think. Um, Harvard and... Yeah, so like, I guess that makes sense, yeah. It's a whole every, bunch of really smart people. Crazy smart. And, but specialists too. That's an interesting difference. And, you know, you have intelligence, like the ability to take in information, understand what's happening, and then infer a, a good decision from this information. Like that's, you know, general intelligence. But then there's also a level of technical intelligence that you only get when you've worked really hard on a, on a particular, you know, subject and you become an expert in it. And that just takes a lot of time yes, and intensity. And so I was meeting these people who are like, you know, deep researchers on name the problem, right? They were working on everything. Okay. I could not keep up with them because I was like, I understand the words you're using, but I don't have any context. <laughs> so I just got a smile and nod. Um, and it was, it was difficult and to, to build friendships yeah. because friendships again are it's sometimes problem based. What problems are you working on? Oh my God, I have the same problem. Then you have this, it's like, you know, when there's a big disaster and everyone's like, we have the same problem. Let's be friends. Yes. It's the same thing. I think in human interactions where you're like, we have the same problems. We can like live, we can work through this. It together. just it's, works. It's some I, sort of bonding glue that, you know, I don't maybe. It's no, but it's, it's, it's so true because like uh, in the United States of America, it's like very polarized right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's just kind of go back when nine 11 happened. Right. Yeah. Um, what happened? There yeah. was a problem and everyone came together. Yeah. And obviously that's on a larger scale, but it works even on smaller scales. So if you both have a common problem, what do you do? You work together. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So continue. Sorry. Um, Sorry. Yeah. So, so as a, but, you know, I, but I, I have to say, I've like, there's a guy named Tig that I met up there. Just like the funnest guy to be around. Um, a girl named Rachel, one of the smartest girls I've ever met, uh, super talented too at what she did. Um, there were, uh, there's just, just some unique friendships. Super, and bonds. Yeah. But why did you go out there? What were, what were we trying to build? Uh, it was to, uh, originally, you know, and I, I was really going to pursue like some bizarre interests that I hadn't had the means or the time to pursue prior. Um, I, I suddenly had a deep interest in finance, mm-hmm. which I, you know, we, we grew up real poor, uh, so didn't have a lot of money. Spent most of my life poor as hell, so I, I was like, okay, what do I do with money? Wow. So I became pretty interested in finance and how it all worked. So I spent some time getting deeper into that, and then I was like, oh my god, I see all these problems. And so I was like, I like to solve problems, so let's yeah. build a finance company. And then we got into that, and then learned that that is a race to the bottom. And requires massive funding to yeah. exist. Yes. And there was a lot of early movers that have gotten moats built pretty deeply. So we became uninterested in that pretty quick. Um, super passionate about dogs, yeah. um, which I hadn't really 
been before I hadn't had the opportunity to really build a lot. I had like my dogs that I had when I was younger, we like pulled out of the alley, like we like, captured them. That's cool though. We're like, you're going to be my pet now. <laughs> you're my dog now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's awesome. Yeah. Take it um, off the street. But with all the working that I was doing, the interesting lifestyle, uh, as far as my living situation, it didn't really allow me to have a dog. So, uh, we built a website called Watchdog Labs, which is still up. So watchdoglabs.com. And uh, we went bananas in like the nerd zone to figure out safe food for dogs, That's which is a wild problem. Like, w- again, once I get into something, I'm like, why is everyone not paying attention? To I know, this? but this I, I, remember, I remember when you were like, I'm going to build uh, like this, you know, watch, uh, watch, what's it called again? Watchdog Labs. Uh, Watchdog Labs. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I was like, what is this dude thing? What is he thinking? I know. Uh, but you kind of, you went all out and it's, it's still up and running today. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great resource. It, yeah. it teaches people, ba- or not even teaches, it just walks you through. Like you basically select like the breed, um, the size, like all the different selections. And then it gives you, it, we, we rank the actual food based on a percentage and score the way that we do it, I mean, we spent ridiculous amount of time on this. And we had like all these, re- again, deep specialists that were like helping us build algorithms and shit. It was like, this could have been, and then this is where I did not apply the speed thing. We could have built it in like a fraction of the time. Okay. Probably got roughly the same result, but we just went overboard. That's all right. Um, it's all right. Cause I mean, I, I truly deep, and we, there's like lots of people use the site and they use it on a regular basis yeah. and it gets shared and it's growing and that's great. Um, you know, and, there's only so much interest I can maintain in something for a period of time. Yeah. So it's, we handed it over to a manager now who runs it. And there was actually a few other websites like that, that we started in that like flurry of six months of working together. Okay. Cause once Simon and I started working together, it was like 18 hours a day in the CIC. Yeah, building. You guys are just fucking hustling. And, just like, and then uh, it was like, it was also winter and I was like, I don't have any friends. Let's just fucking hustle. It's winter out there is fucking brutal. It right? was pretty, pretty <laughs> rough. Um, and so, and, and I was exploring all type of interests. Yeah. Um, I got into to doing some boxing too, and uh, I messed up my shoulder. And it wasn't a little screwed up. Like I really messed it up. And I'm very big on ignoring things. Yes, you are. I'm just like, it'll be fine. Do you still have a headache? I do. It's, wow. it's killing me, right? It's like, wow, you're I, fucking it, killing it. I would never know. are like crushing nice. my head. Nice, I'm going to make them time. tighter. Thanks. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so uh, this shoulder thing was naggy at first and then it got bad to the point where um i couldn't work out because my left arm had zero strength and i don't know if you've ever had that happen where it's like if you want to do a curl and you can do like 45 pounds with your right arm and Mm -hmm. you can't do five with your left you're like i am effed up right now Uh, yes and so, and I would wake up in constant pain and it was, I mean, it was, it was debilitating. And you're like, I'm not going to go to the doctor. I'm just going to figure it out on my I, own. I tried to sort it out for a while by myself, but it got so bad. Like I couldn't sit in a chair for more than like 20 minutes without my arm going numb. Dude. And then the numbness turns into pain and it was my neck and it was my shoulder and then it was my arm. Dude, it was a nightmare. I hated it. I hated every second. How long was this going on for? Months. It went on for months. Um, and, and eventually <sighs> I was so like, funny. I got to, I got to sort this out. Yeah. So I start going to doctors, acupuncturists. Uh, uh, physical therapist. Like I was like crossing appointments, going from one to another. I'm just like, let's figure this out, guys. Like, let's get a team on this one and get this the worked fix out. This shit. Got a massage therapy. Yeah. I, I had like three <laughs> massage people working on it at different times. Dude, nothing was working. It was crazy. How I was like, did I did I seriously fuck my arm up this bad? Dude. Um, it, and I had a really great massage therapist that helped me figure out what it actually was, and it was more in my neck. And it was, uh, I don't, I mean, I don't understand all the terminology yeah. she was using, but something was really screwed up For and, sure. the, and the pain was crazy. So, um, 
then it was about that. And I was bitching about it as little as possible. That's you. But Simon was noticing like, dude, you can't sit still for 20 yeah. minutes. What are you doing? So, and, and around that time I also went to a trade show and, um, someone at a trade show gave me a, uh, a cream. Cause I obviously was like, can you fix my problem? <laughs> yeah. I was like, stranger, come here. <laughs> can you fix my problem? Hey, you, anybody, hey, you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The old lady selling hot dogs. Can you fix my shoulder? <laughs> it was like, anybody have any ideas? Um, so I, this woman was selling uh, a CBD, um, cream okay so i was like give it to me please I'll, I'll try this out that's really crazy hold on because as long as i've known you mm-hmm. um no no alcohol no weed topical I, I know but so, you know i'm sitting here smoking a joint you would definitely not right and when i found out that you know you had tried the cbd mm-hmm. i was just i was really blown away by it yeah um but what was it what happened so the the cream that i tried at first it felt like icy hot and had no impact whatsoever. Okay. So I thought one of two things. I was like, well, either CBD is just trash scam stuff, yes. like a lot of the vitamin in the world is, mm-hmm. or uh, this product is trash. That's one thing I thought. Uh, or topicals are trash. But either way, my shoulder's still screwed up, and I can't like it didn't do anything for me. And I was putting on it day after day after day after day. Um, and so then Simon says uh, at one point, "Hey, have you tried CBD?" And I was like, yeah, I put the topical on. He goes, no, 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 no. You got to take the, the stuff, the oral stuff. You got to put the under your tongue. Yeah. And I was like, well, how do you know? He's like, well, I've been taking it. I was like, what? Because he's also very much Same. like me, not yeah. much of a drinker. So sublingual, but. Yeah. So okay. I said, I can't, man. I don't want to change anything about my mentality or my yeah. personality or my, my way of seeing the world. I like difficult things. I don't like the shoulder thing, yeah. but I don't want anything to change other than that. Like, I'm cool. And, um, he said, you know, and it was very much like that teeter-totter. The pain was much worse than my, you know, not wanting to take CBD. Yes. But also I trusted Simon, um, you know, with my life for the most yeah. part. So I'm just like, if, if you're telling me that this is going to be good, I'll go with it. I'll try it out. And so um, I got the most expensive brand I can find, just defaulting to the heuristic of yeah. expensive means good. Not always true. Not always true. In this instance, it was, though yeah. I did get a really good brand. So I tried it. And it was with about two weeks. It was as if my shoulder like opened up and I did, the pain went away. Wait a minute. It didn't reduce. It fucking went away. It took the pain away? It, it, everything that was causing the pain stopped. The tingling stopped. The tightness stopped. The numbness stopped. Everything stopped. What the fuck? And it was, it was like day after day, it was like progressively better, 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 better. And then I was like, like I could barely even remember feeling like that when I was, because I, I moved yeah. I think so little about the past and I'm so, again, future, that I almost was like, I almost took it for granted. Dude. And I probably would have, but then there was another aspect of it that I didn't expect. So I had been living with a lot of stress for a long period of time. Mm. And again, that was just daily. That's just the way the body works at some point. Like we had talked about, yeah. maybe 24, 25, I started feeling stress. Uh, 28, 29, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. this is going to be, <laughs> this is life, I guess. This is rough. Um, if you're trying to do big shit, like if you want to chill and like play frisbee on the weekends and stuff, maybe you don't deal with it. But like, if you're like, like, like I might run out of money tomorrow or yeah. like, is this all going to blow up and go to shit? And exactly. Like, you know, like I got to go to these six cities in the next four days. And like, you just start to, your brain is wired to be a little worried about stuff. And that starts to wear on you. Humongous. So anyways, in those two weeks, boom, goes to zero. And I'm like, I don't feel that feeling anymore. What? I'm not worried about stuff. 
Had you correlated it to the CBD? Yeah, it was almost, I was like, I was like, I knew exactly what was happening because this is what people had said as far as stress and anxiety. And yes. I was like, I was like, maybe, but that's like, you can't make that go away. That's just, that is what my, that's what I've become in a way. Yeah. So when that shit dropped to zero, I was like, well, this is actually going to be a very different life than I had expected. Yeah. So, which is, you know, that's a big statement and I get how charged up that is. And I also know how much hype there is in CBD. And I know how much trash there is on the market because the other thing that we did is that with the Watchdog Labs testing process, we really got to understand COAs because we were doing all these COAs on dog food. What's get, COA for people don't Certificate know? of um, Authenticity, I believe is the actual second. It basically, it's a lab report yeah. that tells you exactly what's going on and whatever you've gotten tested. And so with dog food, we were really, you know, what's protein, what's carbs, fats, what's the heavy metals and all this stuff. Um, and then with cannabis and CBD and hemp, it's a big thing too. Uh, to really understand because uh, hemp is a bioaccumulator as a plant. And so whatever soil it's in, if that soil happens to have arsenic in it or something like that, the plant is going to absorb the shit out of it. And it's going to maintain through and into the actual product that you create. So that end result will have yeah. whatever's in that soil. Yeah. And I've seen some COAs from companies that are just blatant, like loaded with shit. And you're like, okay, well, they're saying it, like, but everyone, are you still buying it? Why, why, why do you think people, people just... They're too busy. They're not stupid. They're too busy. Yeah. Too busy to try to understand what COA is and actually read it and really get a full understanding of it, but it's there in black and white sometimes. Yeah. So anyways, that's, there's becoming these CBD review sites. And, and you know, a lot of times those companies are paid. <coughs> they're just paid sites and whatever. They're advertising for companies willing to pay them. Um, but a lot of time they're doing a good job of actually saying, hey, take a look at the COA. It actually says that there is like this crazy metal in it. Um, or it has a mycotoxin or it has like, there's, there's, you know, fungus so many different yeah. things, right? Right. So, so this is all very important. Um, so anyways, after I start to, and, and then sleep was the other thing too. I, I'm always a pretty good sleeper, but I had developed the tendency to stay up a little too late. Kind of just the mind wasn't really shutting off as it was. And I wasn't doing a lot. In, I mean, I was working really hard and stuff, but I didn't feel like it wasn't like pulp yeah. where I had all these people depending on me. Uh, there were far fewer inter interdependencies with people. Um, and when there's less people involved, I think the mind is able to let go a lot more because you're like, I have my responsibilities and my list of things that I have yes. to be done, but I don't have to worry about 15 other people. For sure. So so I did have that little release as far as um, it made it a little bit easier to sleep because I wasn't wondering about, you know, the people reporting to me. Or Absolutely, well. 100%. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, <clears throat> But anyways, so, um, but I did have a tendency to stay up really late. Um, and then, there were times I would just wake up in the middle of the night and uh, had a nice view and I would just find myself staring out in the middle of the night, just looking at Boston. <laughs> just being can't like, go to sleep. Beautiful city. Like, what uh, the fuck? Yeah. So, and, and again, I, you kind of get used to that at some point. If of that's course, just your it's life. just norm. You, know? you just get out your laptop, you start doing work, maybe you read a book. I mean, whatever you do, you do. Or you get food or maybe you go to the gym early or whatever Absolutely. you're going to do. Um, and, and, and again, there's always a positive side. Nobody's in the gym. Nobody's going to call you. Nobody's going to bug you. So you just blast through some work really quick. Uh, anyways, it's also nice to get eight hours of sleep and that started it's happening. Important. Yeah. It started happening regularly too. So I started sleeping all the way through the night, falling asleep at will. It's kind of an interesting thing I do now. I, I, I just 50, 49, 40, I get to like 30 and I'm done. And I'm really? Out. Yeah. So you just count every single 50, night. 49. Wow. Where did, where did you even learn that? I just made that one up. It's kind of cheap backwards, I guess. I guess so. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. But it's actually uh, like 49 would be 40. You breathe in and 49, you breathe out. Or nine, you breathe out. 49. I like that. 40. 
eight. It's rhythmic. And then you're just you, done. You're done. It's it's, perfect. And you'll find sometimes where you're like, wait, where's, where's this? Where's, oh. <laughs> and then you're out. Goodbye. Yeah. Ah, per- and, and how long have you been doing that? I don't even know. I, forever. I feel like, no, I started doing it when I was in Cambridge. Um, when I was having a little bit more trouble falling yeah. asleep, when I was staying up too late. And then, because you, you, you stay up so late, you eventually hit a point where your body's like, are we staying up? Is yeah. that what we're doing tonight? And exactly. And you're yeah. like, no, I, I kind of should go to bed. And it's like, it's, well, it's three in the morning, bro. Are you really going to go to bed now? Dude, sometimes <laughs> I just kind of get these second wins when, when I It's when exactly I do what that. happens, yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. But, but so just to kind of get back to it, it's like you took the CBD, your, your, your shoulder, your neck, that issue is gone. Your sleep is getting better. Your stress is being alleviated. Yeah. In your mind, are you like, wait a minute. Miracle. Pe- people are like, They've been talking about this, but I just thought it was hoopla. Right, because I also was, I wouldn't say I was never against cannabis, but I was so not into that plant and I was not into smoking. I just didn't, and I I mean, surely I know it does something for the body, but I was also very much like I want to maintain whatever this consciousness is that I appreciate so much in its pure form. I respect that. Um, But when I, you know, and I wasn't wasn't looking for the release mentally. I was looking for the physical release of the pain. But when the mental side came, I was like, holy shit, I am like, I am back like in like full form where I'm like, I can, I can think clearly. I can work on whatever I want to work. I can sit for long periods of time. I can sit through an entire movie now. I could not sit through an entire movie before. That's Uh, incredible. I run miles and miles and miles and I had the physical ability to run many miles, but not the mental endurance to run many miles. Now I do because I'm like, I can zone out a little bit if I just choose to, to be, you know, present i guess i, I feel is, like that's the only time i can really zone out is when i'm running yeah uh because i'm not i don't know I, like probably like not probably like you you're constantly thinking about 50 million things yeah when i run i don't know i can just zone out yeah but i do love how cbd kind of found its way into your life yeah. and it just kind of helps you out with these three big issues yeah what was next how did you well, i got obsessed because <laughs> makes sense my human potential was now peaked and i was like this is taking me to a level like i started to feel like it was a like a, a performance enhancement drug for business or for life or for what i want to accomplish so when it clicked into that human potential thing i started being like everybody should at least try this of course and then uh, someone's like are you going to sell essential oils? And I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> and so it, the industry has this wrecked kind of persona in many ways right now because every hack is like starting a CBD company or a cannabis company. Of course. Or like, and they're doing it in soaps and matches and Everything. candles and fucking all kinds of shit that makes no sense. But it's like the hot word. In yeah. beauty, unfortunately, we love new things. Yes. And so when someone puts CBD in shampoo, we're like, fuck yeah. It's amazing. CBD in shampoo, let's yeah. do this. Like, what the and fuck is like, it doing? What is it doing? Like, yeah. seriously, what is it doing? And is there even CBD in here? And is there actually CBD in it? And, and Simon and I, again, I, I kind of touched on, we did the CEO. I think she was buying all this stuff off the market, just buying it straight off the shelf, testing it. And things are so inaccurate. The the levels of CBD, inaccurate. Um, the, the claiming CBG or CBN or CBC, not in there, not even close to the testable levels. It's terrible, man. It's um, And there's no regulation. So just get away with it. And you know, some of these companies have trash brands, like they're not well put together as a brand. Um, some of more, and the, but, but all that being said, there are several really, really, really good brands. Well, one that helped you. Right? Um, and yeah, so many, and they're, I've, other, right? I've probably taken 20, maybe 25 different brands personally for different reasons. I wanted to try them at different reasons. And it's crazy how sensitive, not, not sensitive that my body is, but how attuned in I am now 
knowing that there is this range. Yeah. I wasn't just stuck on the high end. Um, and when I switch off one and I start taking one for two weeks and I'm like, oh shit, this isn't working. This isn't the, this isn't the same <laughs> thing. Um, price isn't always a good way to figure out if it's going to work either. Yeah. So, so anyways, I started to get really obsessed with it. I have the time, I have the means to do the research. Um, I know Simon's taking it too. And so inter, in, independently, we both actually start going down the path of looking into it as a business opportunity too. Not even knowing. Not even knowing that the other person was doing it. Um, That's awesome. It gets more crazy actually. <laughs> so so we're doing this research and, and I would say him and I are both pretty research heavy. Like we can both get lost and do days and days and days of research. Rabbit hole. Yes. Yes. He's better than I am at that. I'll admit it though. He just is more thorough than I am. So, um, but I love getting on the phone and poking holes in things. Good. And I think I do. I might. I might get him on that. You one. love poking holes in everything. Yeah, man. yeah. But it's like, good. Like, it's wait, good. Where is this going to break? What's yeah. what are you? You know, what's what's not real about what you're? These people are saying. So, um, after probably a month, I put together because I we when we also like to respect each other's time too. So I didn't want to just come off the, the cuff and say, Hey, have you looked into CBD? Cause also I had my own hesitations about it too. For sure. But I already knew he believed in it cause he was taking it too. So anyway, so I started doing this research. We started looking at vendors, start looking at suppliers, start looking at how could we actually create a product. And then, so I come to him with this full laid out, almost like presentation. And I'm like, so you introduced me to CBD, like <laughs> several months ago. I've been doing a lot of research. Da, 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 da. That's so funny. And then he's like, dude, it's crazy. I've been looking into it too. Like every night I've been doing all this research. We found the same company Shut that we to work up. with. Out of the, and literally there are like hundreds That's and awesome. hundreds of these companies coming out of the woodwork that are like, we can make CBD, we can make CBD. Um, the story is a little bit longer where we worked with an incredible guy at that company who worked with us very closely, but it was that no, no, no process mm -hmm. that I was telling you about earlier where it's like, we want to do this, we want to do this, we want to do this. We see this company doing this. We see this other company doing this. We want to do both those things. Like, how is it possible to do this, 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 this? Dude, you guys are awesome. That's not possible. Like, appreciate it. That'll exist, but it probably won't exist for another two years. And then all the reasons and everything else. That's so funny. And what you find is that people are saying no because they can't do it, not that it can't be done. Of course. So it's really important to keep digging if you're trying to build something and find the person that wants the same thing that you want, and you'll you'll make it work. So uh, we work and work and work and work and work with that company, and we eventually get to the point where it's like they could not make what we wanted to make. Um, and then they came to the decision that they were going to close the division of customization anyways. Oh, so we were going to continue to like push it with them and eventually get to what we wanted because we actually had started to take over part of their process of actually supplying different parts of the, the thing to make it work. Um, and then so they decided to close the division. And I was like, oh, man. And this is months of work already. Yeah. And... Granted, that was all very valuable because yeah. we had learned a ton of stuff in the process and we had been very much down the road of creating like an untouchable product that we had, you know, we have basically built up to be in, I mean, the best you could possibly make. Once again, looking back, right? You're looking like looking back at that time, like this is very, very valuable, right? Yeah. Um, maybe not in the moment. So the moment, uh, the guy who we'd been working with so much um, says, hey, uh, just so you guys know, we're looking at closing this division. Um, but we, we have a few key clients. You're one of them. We want to keep you guys. We want to keep moving forward. Um, so don't worry. I'm going I'm to go to bat. We're going to get this done. So I'm like, cool, sweet. Yeah. I sleep great that yeah, night. Yeah, for sure. Simon's very different. Simon's like, fuck, <laughs> this is gonna, not going to work. He's, so he goes into like research mode. Oh, shit. And he basically spent that whole night and that whole morning research, 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 research. Um, what are the other options? Are there other farms that we could work with? Is somebody already moving in the direction that we want to work? 
And uh, I think it was like page 35 or page 36. I think you said page 36 or 37 to me. He finds a company. Um, So so anyways, uh, the next day comes, we get on the phone and the guy's like, hey, I'm so sorry. It's just, we're going in another direction. We're closing this thing. And then that guy actually ended up leaving the company shortly after. I don't think he was pleased with that decision as I wasn't. For sure. Like, 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 ah. Simon's like, have a seat. This is what we're going to do. And, and have a seat, child. He's already, he's already like done all this. <laughs> um, and then it's, uh, you know, when you make a product, you don't always get to be the actual like person manufacturing the product, um, which is sometimes a good thing because I find that the company that is the, the, the manufacturer and the, the, that's doing the whole thing, mm-hmm. they're usually not doing several things very well because it's consuming to yes. manufacture a product. Every single part. Massively difficult. Um, and this particular product is so hard to make because it is a plant that grows in limited quantities that has to be cared for in a particular way. Mm-hmm. And then it has to be extracted in a very particular way. Like all these things have to be done in a way. Otherwise, the work that you did prior is kind of lost. So we managed to find um, a very small supplier who's able to make the highest quality they hit every single notch that we wanted to hit and then actually exceeded it in a few places that we didn't know could be improved so completely usd organic certified very hard to do huge that's the soil that's the plant that's the extractor that's the bottle the whole supply chain has to be certified organic we have that that is fucking huge because what is there like three or four other ones out there there's not many there's not many right uh and when there is if not there's thousands of CBD companies out there, if not tens of thousands Tons, of C. Yeah. Uh, to be one of few, it just shows the level of quality and care every single step of the way. Mm-hmm. So that is a pretty big differentiator for who we are as a company, I think. Um, but that is honestly just the beginning. So when you make this plant, it's a strain, right? And yeah. anybody who, and I, again, I just my whole life not smoking, so I didn't really understand strains and different effects and for stuff sure. like that. But you grow strains and you breed strains and you get different uh, potencies for different effects. Absolutely. So for this particular strain, only grown on this farm, it's been bred over season after season after season to get it in this very particular form, which is super high in CBC, uh, CBD, CBG, CBC, super low in THC. It's not designed to get you high. That is absolutely, absolutely not its purpose. So it's been bred over the, the seasons to become less and less um, intoxicating, which is really, really important. Uh, because then when you go to the next step of doing the extraction, the harder you have to work to get the THC out, the more you're going to pull out everything else too. Because getting uh, THC out requires a process. So if it's already at a lower level, like very, very low, yeah, then that process. Ah, and then what sense. you do lose of the other things, they're in higher quantities. So you don't, you it's still kind of, have, yeah. yeah. Um, now the extraction process, there's a whole lot of ways to do it. Uh, the most common though is this ethanol basically soaking process and it is like a like an alcohol bath for the most part. And it, it's harsh, but you yeah. can do lots of it really fast. Yeah, but just soaking your, your flower or plant matter or mm-hmm. whatever in alcohol, in my mind, uh, I, I know what it does, but it's just sounds fucking dirty, man. Yeah, right? and then you separate it, and then the separation has to be done in a way that's good enough that you extract all that from it so you don't have any leftovers. Um, it's the most common way. Yeah. If a company's not saying how they're doing it, that's how they're doing it. Um, and then you have a supercritical and a subcritical process for doing the extraction using CO2, which is like a clean odorless gas that can be removed completely. Uh, so we use subcritical, which is very rare. Okay. Because subcritical is slow. 
And so if you're thinking as a manufacturer, you want to move quickly because yes. you want to be able to do it. Basically, time is money on the machine. Mm-hmm. So you want the machine running, you want the machine to do a lot, et cetera, et cetera. So already when you're doing this, you're doing a smaller quantity because you're using a container, like a, a, a enclosed environment. So it can only be so big. And now we're doing subcritical. So we're also using uh, low pressure, low heat. And so we're doing a f- much slower extraction. So like slow and steady. The whole reason is you get a much better potency. And this is all done uh, through, through CO2 extraction. Uh-huh. Subcritical CO2 extraction. That's incredible. Right. And so then uh, now, now what you are actually extracting from is also very important too. So a lot of companies throw everything in there. You got yep. the plant, you got the stems, you got the leaves, you got the flower, you got everything. We're just putting in the flower. And the reason is because there's not really anything in the leaves and the stem that you're going to want. There's precursors to the things that end up in the flower, uh-huh. but they're not valuable in that form necessarily. But it's much cheaper to obviously use Just throw plant. it all in there, right, right? right? So we take out the things that aren't going to have value. We only use the things that can be most potent. So we get a really potent end result um, because it's obviously taking the most potent part and we're... It, most part and part of the plant, and then we're taking it out slowly. So we're getting the best possible result. Every single step of the way, I, it just... Taste. It, the taste. taste. And that's what I was going to ask. Because a, a lot of people, and a lot of the really good ones, because you have uh, broad spectrum and you have full spectrum, mm-hmm. so full spectrum is, is, is uh, I'm going to speak from an opinion, but it's scientifically backed up as better than broad spectrum because you get the full spectrum of what the plant has to offer. It's all designed to work together, in my opinion. So you want to get the full you want to get the full spectrum. And that does include a little bit of tea. THC. Okay. For federal reasons, it has to be below 0.3% in order to be legal. So we make sure that we get ours below that 0.3%. So it doesn't get you It's high. not psychoactive. Absolutely not. Yeah. Completely not. Now, what about broad spectrum, just so people know? Uh, so broad spectrum doesn't have THC in it. Okay. It's broad in the sense of, it's such confusing terminology, right? It is. It broad is. just simply doesn't include THC or full does include THC. For sure. Even in different quantities. But do, I, do you come from the belief that a very small trace of THC does help activate the CBD. I think it all works together. Yes, it does uh, absolutely complement each other. Yeah. It's what the it's how the plant was built. Interesting thing about the the can or the hemp plant is that um, the cannabinoids, in a sense, are like a defense mechanism. The terpenes are like a defense mechanism. Okay. And so, if you actually grow the plant in a harsher environment, it actually builds more of these more potency in a wow. sense because it builds more of these defenses to protect itself. That makes a lot of sense. Dude, when I started to understand how <laughs> That's the plant- That's incredible. The plant just, it completely blew me. I, and, and it's so funny to even be, like if my 16-year-old <laughs> self could hear me talking, he'd be like, what the fuck happened, dude? What? <laughs> for, for, the, uh, for the almost decade I've known you, man, to, to fully uh, have this conversation with you right now and for you to uh, be at the level of understanding about this, the whole plant, cannabis, CBD, mm-hmm. it blows my mind, but you are coming, everything that you have said um, makes 110% uh, uh, sense, hits facts, and at the end where I want you to talk about, because when I, tr- when I tried this, the taste, what, what is different about it? So we're using fresh peppermint, and that's, I, I can't say it's a secret, it's not something we're talking about a bunch, but we actually use the food scientist to develop the taste. Because the labs were having, uh, it wasn't their specialty, right? It's not their wheelhouse to necessarily do like a sensory thing with taste. Um, And taste is an interesting thing because everybody has a different palate. And so we did a lot of testing um, and sensory testing where you basically have lots of people test it and get the different taste. And then you kind of lean towards a particular one. And like you you end up with the thing that the most people are going to find appealing. So the taste of ours, and what you'll find is the brands that I find to be very effective on the market actually have the worst taste. They're terrible. They taste awful. No, absolutely. I'm but not going to. Yeah. Typically the best 
result. I won't say names, but uh, yeah, one that I like a lot. It tastes like shit. It almost tastes like barf. Yeah. And it works, but it tastes nasty. And yeah. so that like people that try it that don't even know that it works, they probably are like, oh, this fucking tastes gross. I'm not even going to give it a chance. Yeah, which is unfortunate, but it's, again, we have our eyes for a reason, we have our nose for a reason, we have our mouth for a reason. Yeah. Our taste buds are designed to give us like a cue. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense why most of them taste like crap. Yeah. Um, And so getting a food scientist to really kind of determine uh, what would be the best taste for, you know, a huge spectrum of people uh, is really important. And so you and Simon went through this whole process. Um, You know, what is it called? You know, Uh, what what is, you know? The name of the brand is Jupiter. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, and we, I think just today, Simon watched the final bottling. Oh, man. And then uh, I should have my first set of samples uh, by Friday. Dude, that's incredible. I, uh, you know, when you sent me a sample, I didn't know what to expect, right? It's, it's coming from you. I know that you'll put your whole heart into it, but I was like, it's CBD. This is still kind of weird. Right. Yeah. And then I remember trying first off the taste, right? Um, the consistency, the, the color, you know, uh, the one that I like a lot that I'm not going to name, it's very dark. Yeah. Uh, yours is very clear. So it's obviously, obviously because of the CO2, um, base extraction. I mean, I could be wrong, right. Yeah. But it, uh, more times than not, when it's CO2 based extraction, the the color level tends to be more clear. Lots of there's lots that goes into that. Sure, you would know a lot co- better than me. And that's the thing, because sometimes people do see color as a way to understand quality. I wouldn't say ours is clear. No, it, no, no. This one is a, is a deep golden color. Yes. Um, but it's also not fair to assume that color is an indication of quality. Thank you. It could sometimes be an indication of purity. There may be a lot of things left over and it may imply different parts of the plant were used. All right. Um, but there's, there's so many things go into it that it's hard to just visually look and say, this is because of this. Respect. Sure. Right. Yeah. Thank you for uh, yeah. dropping the knowledge on me. Thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to, cause this is the other thing is that I learned along the route. There's not a lot of time. People are busy. Again, yeah. people aren't see where they're busy. And so you don't get the chance to give them this deep explanation for, for these things. But even if you do, they often don't have the base to have it land properly with an understanding. And typically the only reason that you do it is that you're trying to demonstrate an understanding yourself. You're trying to give them an understanding that you understand it so that they will trust you, Mm -hmm. not that they actually understand what you're saying. Absolutely. So anyway, I appreciate being able to talk about it in like a long form. Of of course. Because I probably won't get the chance to do it in many, many other ways. (laughs) It'll basically be like, can we take a really good picture of it? And can we have someone who people trust talk about it? Yeah. And then it'll perform and then that'll have to be good enough. And maybe on our website, we'll have the deeper education, but I just don't, I don't assume most people have the time or the interest to dig deep. No, I get that. I get that. Um, But, you know, you coming on here, uh, you know, sharing, um, you know, exactly what you've worked so hard on. It just, it makes me very proud of you. And I really do look forward to the future. So what, you know, Simon, um, you know, got them kind of, what's the next steps? Yeah. So um, we had many things operating in, in parallel. So our, I think our packaging is actually going to be the last thing that gets done, uh, which is a surprise. Yep. That's <laughs> There's right. a surprise along the way. Uh, but packaging will probably arrive a few days after the bottles arrive at our partner, our logistics partner. And uh, then we'll be off to the races. I mean, I have probably 100 people in my life that I want to try it. Yeah. Who Some are familiar with CBD and already understand it, its power. And its value and other people are total skeptics, which I, I love just as mm-hmm. much. 
Um, like yourself, like, like you were. Where I started, yeah. Mm-hmm. So people keep saying, dude, I don't want your essential oil. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. It, it's, it's, it's really well, no, not. No, I know. But that whole multi-level marketing essential oil thing, it just fits nicely into the whole the bullshit tornado of what this yes. stuff looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, when people experience it, it's it's a different understanding. Yeah, so, and and I, sure. I can only hope that over time, because that's it, it will not be a process of me convincing every, anybody of anything at any time. Yeah. I will simply make it available. And when people are ready to have an experience because they that teeter-totter have hit the point mm-hmm. where they're like, I need to I need to try something, yeah. we'll be there. Yeah, for 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 sure. And you know, I can only talk from my own experience, right? I've you know, I've you know been you know used cannabis like almost my whole entire life um but just me suffering from back issues and shit like that uh i've had my fair share of experiences with cbd and by far when i'm on a steady dose of quality cbd my life is different on a day-to-day basis my back feels better my joints feel better my brain fog so i'm clearer um my my stress levels do come down so i can only speak from firsthand experience. And yeah. you know, as being one of my good friends, the shit I deal with on sure. a day-to-day basis. But um, watching you do this and seeing it now, you know, just about to hit that point, uh, you know, I wish you guys nothing but success. And I do appreciate you guys. You know, you guys are going to be the first sponsor on my, on yeah, my show. And I'm that's, happy to do that, man. Yeah. It, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for, for believing in me. Um, and <laughs> I haven't even launched yet, but you are the person that I trust most giving me the real honest answer. Uh-huh. And then you guys coming to me and saying that it just, uh, it, it makes me feel good. So thank you. Yeah. And as I had said before, the indicators of success have a lot to do with, you know, experience and doing something and having a natural, maybe an instinct and understanding, and you have a natural instinct and understanding of people and an ability to connect with them. So I think that that is that gives me confidence that you'll be successful. The other thing, and I learned this through a lot of hiring, is that you cannot pay someone to be excited. Yeah. Someone has to have that internal excitement naturally, or there has to be something about what they're doing that's causing them to be excited. Um, and, and, and going back to David again, he was really good at understanding that people will lose interest if they don't have a sense of ownership and they don't have a sense of uh, excitement and purpose and even... Um, you know, understanding why they're doing what they're doing, that always felt like that was somehow always in the air. Yeah. Um, and so when it comes to this, I can see clearly that you're fucking excited, but it's also because it's fitting so clearly into your wheelhouse of what you're naturally good at. Yeah. We always tend to get attracted to what we're good at anyways. For sure. So I see this as being something that's um, has true potential. And again, with most things, awareness is the biggest question. So how, how can, you know, how can the most amount of awareness be drawn to this it's actually probably people sharing it. For people sure. Absolutely. The, so Absolutely. If people are enjoying the long form conversations, which I'm a huge, I, I love long form conversations between people because we're doing less and less of it. Yes, we are. Um, social is making everybody very short, very surfacey, very like TikTok. You know, what's the, <laughs> what's the five second clip? But this deep exchange is rare. And even just listening to it, I think has, a, has an impact on, on somebody's quality of life. Absolutely. It may be wrong of me to say that I think guys get more from it, 
No, it's I not. I could be wrong. No, it's not. Uh, I know guys communicate differently than women do. Mm-hmm. And guys communicate differently to women and women communicate differently to guys. Mm-hmm. And it's a generalization. And I have many awesome examples in my life where that doesn't line up. And I have guy-like friendships with girls. <laughs> um, but there is something that's very unique about a two-hour or three-hour conversation between two people and having the ability to listen to that through all the way. Absolutely. You know, I I personally have gotten so much from uh, listening to different podcasts and long form conversations with different unique people. And, you know, there is nothing wrong about saying men and women are different. You know, of course, uh, we can, you know, all meet in the middle and do that. But at at the end of the day, we are different, biologically different, you know. Uh, And so, I don't think uh, saying these things are wrong. It's mm. not because uh, I'm a sexist, you're a sexist. No, fuck no. It has nothing to do with that. It's yeah. just, you know, speaking facts. So, yeah. uh, and that's all you know. That's one thing I know about you is you speak facts. And so uh, kind of bringing it back to the CBD is like, this is facts, man. This is uh, this is huge. And when people, you know, listen to this, where are they going to be able to find it? Yeah, uh, getjupiter.com is the website and we'll be primarily a, a direct-to-consumer business. Um, partly that's because uh, it's expensive to make this product because it can only be grown at certain times. It takes a lot of product because we're only using a small portion of the plant to make the, the end consumable. So because of that, it's expensive. Yeah. Um, and to keep the margin, uh, to keep the, the price as low as possible, we have to protect the margin as much as we can, not to get too much into the business side. For sure. It doesn't leave a lot of room to use uh, distribution channels. Uh, it would be great if we can figure out a way to work with retailers or to work with salons for that matter. Um, but for the time being, it's most likely only going to be found on getjupiter.com. And and it's also important, I think, that people understand that Amazon currently does not sell CBD. It sells hemp oil. Yes, it does. A lot of people are buying their CBD on Amazon and not understanding that it is not CBD, it is hemp oil. Very different. There is no CBD in it. Uh, it will have no effect Thank that you. you that you you know are expecting. Thank you so much for saying that. It's crazy. It is because all over it actually says reduces stress. Da, 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 all all, all the same stuff. Yeah, but it's just not real it's not real and whenever amazon decides to sell cbd i have no freaking idea there's a reason and it's because uh it is illegal to sell over 0.3 percent in most states okay and so amazon cannot possibly test all the products that is being sold and so if you're like no trust us it's below 0.3 percent they're not taking the risk no so there's their rule is no nothing that is actually uh hemp derived in the sense of CBD or CBG or THC or anything like that. Hemp oil is the only thing that can be used. The difference is it's basically like avocado oil. It's not. <laughs> it's same. nothing. It's, it's fake. It's, it's not real. It's not the same. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's bullshit at the end of the day. Yeah. And that is the difference between you guys. You guys are straight facts. You guys are real product, quality product, um, USDA organic, which is which is huge. Mm-hmm. And the quality of stuff that we put inside our body is yeah. so important. And, and, I, I don't like heavy sales. Pulp taught me that. As much as my yeah. my root of my existence for most of my life was cold calling and walking into a place and be like, you don't know me and maybe don't want me here, but I got something cool to show you. There we go. And I just love that. It doesn't, It's that's the old school stuff. Yeah. Uh, what I much prefer now is to be um, present yeah. at the right time mm-hmm. with the right experience. 
So in, in that light, we, we've uh, worked really, really hard to create a sample. Uh, I don't mind telling you that there's, there's no margin here. Like we're, we're like trying very hard not to lose money on every single cell <laughs> of know. this sample. Um, so we're managed, and it may be a little early to say this, but right now we're trying to bring it to market for $20. Okay. And it's a two-week supply. Because two weeks is about where the body starts to fully adapt. And this is, again, because every single body is going to be different. For sure. Um, but generally speaking, at the dosage that, oh, not the dosage, at the, um, the serving that we're providing in two, two weeks uh, is where most people will start to get that result where they'll be like, oh, this is, this is awesome. This is cool. Um, but yeah, we're, we're shooting to get that in there at 20 bucks. I find so. that, I find that incredible because you're allowing individuals to try. I mean, I know it's either, uh, it's definitely not gonna make you money. It's, it's just very, very slim. And I know that, but what you're doing is you're opening up the door for people to try it. Mm-hmm. And so whatever price range you do get it at, um, it's still letting people try it for that two week basis, which is really important because, uh, you know, not a lot of people uh, are going to go out and just, you know, try this or try yeah, that. I, I thought even about myself, I'm like, I don't want to spend $89 on no. something that I'm like, kind of maybe. Even if someone who I really trust, I'm like, can you just give me some of yours? Because I don't want to have an mm-hmm. $89 or $129 bottle of this sitting in my bathroom mirror. For something for, that's, you know, potentially not going to work, right? anything for me, yeah. Exactly. So uh, now you're opening up the doors for more people to try it, which yeah. they do. And, and once, I know, once they try uh, Jupiter, they're going to, uh, if they've ever tried CBD before, they're going to notice a clear difference. Yeah. Uh, you know, the quality um, is by far, in my opinion, the best. And I'm saying that from just me trying it myself, yeah. trying so many different kinds before. So I really look forward to this just kind of, you know, rolling out, hitting it hard. And I'm just really pleased to be able to talk about it more and more. Yeah, I appreciate it too, man. man. It means a lot to me. It's, it means a lot. I I, I think, again, getting back to human intent and potential and maybe our tagline and we're kind of, we're still early as a brand. So a lot of these things could change and I'm really wanting to see how people respond to it emotionally. I know like the response will be physical, pretty awesome. But I want to see how people like the pulp community guides what pulp riot is so much. And I think that's beautiful because there's no bullshit marketing. There's no made up slogans or any of that crap. It's like it's a it's a fucking great product and it works and people love it. And then they show it and that's pulp riot. And that's why it's been so successful and why there's so much good energy behind it. And I want Jupiter to be the the same thing in in the sense of the people who use it truly love it. Um, it gives them maybe a, a, a new potential in their life yeah. and they enjoy life much more because that's Simon and I, as much as we work, um, we constantly remind each other like, Hey, take a break and enjoy life. Yes. Like we're not here forever. Maybe, but we're not maybe. here. We're, <laughs> we're, but, but in the time that we are definitely here, it's gotta be enjoyable to a certain degree. And even for me, that's an alien type idea because I so enjoy the struggle because of the feeling that comes after the struggle yeah. of accomplishment. Um, but life really, 
really should be enjoyed. It should. Life's a blink of an eye, man. You yeah. know, we're, we're here, we're gone. And so this time that we're here, uh, you know, although it is up and down, we do have to enjoy, we have to take a step back. We have to just kind of, you know, sometimes take a break and, um, you know, just do things that are better for ourselves because uh, when it's all said and done, you know, what's it all about? Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, as we kind of wrap this up, Tyler, you know, I, I just kind of look at your life from where you came from, your parents being 17, 18 years old, struggling their asses off to raise these three children. Um, and, and then you grow up and you're freaking, you're, you're picking the corn and you're doing all these jobs yeah. up and down. And then, you know, in, in high school, you do baseball, which kind of gets you competitive and you're moving forward. And then you get to freaking college and, um, you know, you, be, you become that vice president, the political bullshit. And then you kind of take this chance and opportunity and eventually find yourself out in L.A. And what you've been able to do is you've struggled your ass off. You've worked so freaking hard, harder than pretty much anyone I know. There's like three people and you are one of those three that by far work the freaking hardest. And now after, you know, over a decade, I think it's been over a decade that you've been out here, you've gotten to this point where this this is what it's all about, man. Like literally this is what it's all about. Yeah, you went to Ergo. Yeah, you did the Pulp Riot. But what you've created with Simon is just that fucking, it's what you're going to look back at your life. And I truly believe that you're going to be the most proudest because what your product is going to bring for everyday people, yeah, it's beautiful, man. It really is. That's the idea. Yeah. I mean, it, what it did for me, I wanted to do for other people. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And, you know, my, my low level of emotions doesn't allow me to get, you know, I, I don't, it doesn't give me, it doesn't allow me to feel overly important. Yeah. It almost feels in a way like there's a responsibility that I have because I have had, in my sense, I, again, won the lottery with my parents. And so from day one, I've had this re responsibility to do something uh, good. Yeah. Uh, and, and purposeful and meaningful and then also there's you know that that gives me the the happiest that i can feel is to be working on something that gives me purpose exactly and there's 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 casualties along the way <laughs> you know there's there's a lot of incompleteness in my life because i've worked so hard and i recognize that and i've maintained a lot of friendships with people who have seen that up close yeah um but at the end of the day it's you know there's purpose in what we're doing and that is like again like you you know you put it in really broad terms and very like um huge perspectives which is at the end of your life yeah. when you look back i will not have very many regrets Boom. and the more good that i can do uh for other people i think that's the stuff that i'll end up being the most appreciative that I, that's how i spent my time for sure i totally see it it's freaking clear as day and you know you are a direct reflection of your parents you know you hitting that lottery man um and and just showing them everything if i was your mom or your dad i'd be so fucking proud of you i know being one of your boys I'm so proud of you. They tell me all the time. I'm yes, proud, of so course. No shit. No shit. <laughs> and uh, feel that. Soak that in and just keep on doing it, man. Um, thank you again, Tyler. Yeah. Thank you for everything. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for believing me. Yeah. Um, you know, anyone listening to this, go check it out. Cool. Getjupiter.com, baby. Yeah. Uh, Do it again in a couple months. Do it again. Have a good one. Peace out, motherfuckers.